Welcome. This is Stan Lee of Marvel Comics warning you to look around you. Your classmates, your friends, you never know which one of them may be terrorist mutants who plan to destroy the human race. Mutants. I hate them. It has come to my attention that you have a mutant power. He's a mutant. A stinking mutant. He doesn't deserve to live on the same planet as normal, decent human beings. Get away from me, beast. Don't you remember what it was like when you first discovered you were a mutant? Council's been wandering through the desert for several weeks now, finding ourselves having nightmares. Janos is asking, are we Avengers? Holly's been asking, are we Inhumans? Kiwi's been asking, are we dancers? But no, no we're podcast hosts. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Hated and Feared. My name's Nick. Um, and we're about to talk about the immortal Thor. The the best uh, X-Men book, you know? <laughs> We've got significantly less this week. There's like one and a half pages of like mutant mentions in it, so... Yeah. There's a... There's a Cyclops was right poster. Just at the top, we're going to be talking about Miss Marvel, the new mutant number one this week. X-Men 26. Um, Immortal X-Men 15. And the Immortal Thor. But we're going to start with the Immortal Thor. And it starts pretty strong. Like, uh, the, like, it's a real sort of statement of intent, it feels like. You know, we're, we're, we're going back to nice, happy Thor, where he's, he's, he's settling into being like the, the Allfather, the, the King, which he's been for like years, but... Uh, I really like it as like a starting point as you know an issue one should be sort of a statement of intent of like showing what you're going to be doing but there's a bunch of different little bits here that specifically feel like uh, you know thought bubbles being back Um, yeah (laughs) which is like hooting and hollering for like it's Really good. It's uh, obviously a statement of intent in like how this Thor is going to be, um, but also a statement of intent in terms of like, um, sort of calling back its structure quite directly um, to Immortal Hulk, like opening with uh, a big block text quote page. Yeah. Um, in this case, coming from the elder editors of Samon Sigfusson. So we're getting some, like, real Norse 
stuff. Um, and uh, then, like, the issue setting up, like, who, who is this person? And it's, 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 a, it's, it's a smiling Thor um, having a relatively good time until he's not. Um, uh, and that's obviously quite different from the, like, uh, grim horror of issue one of the Immortal Hulk. Uh, like there's 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 none of this kind of like brightness it is uh, that, that that's present here. So it's a it's a nice way to distinguish it while tying it to it intentionally. Um, and it's it's good. I enjoy it. I haven't read Thor since the end of the Jason Aaron run, whenever that was. So, yeah, I've never read a Thor solo Same. book, unless you count Frog Thor, which I have read, but not since I was a child. I have uh, not read Thor ever. I uh, only know him from the Marvel movies. I uh, I was reading the and Thor that's before this. Well, <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I was reading the Thor that was before this, like the last ten issues or something. Um, it was it was all right, and I went back and read a bit of uh, Walter Simonson, uh, the his like classic run on Thor, which has a similar tone, and it's I've only read like four or five issues, but it's definitely like oh yeah, I, I can immediately see why this was why this is beloved. I was having a real good time with it, um, and I was kind of like I might just read that and then do like the. Matt Fraction, Kieran Gillen, uh, like their runs go into each other around the 2000s. And that's also where Loki sort of becomes the main character for a while. And that leads into Agent of Asgard. Uh, it's Journey into Mystery, that series is very fun. Yeah, I've been wanting to read that one, but then I heard it starts with like three event tie ins. <laughs> like, yeah. it's uh, <laughs> apparently really. It was like in a very event-heavy era or something. Yeah, the early 2000s were... Or 2010s, I mean. Uh, there was a lot. There was a lot of events going on. Oh, yeah. You get a really good payoff, though, at the end, so... <laughs> oh, I read the Jane Foster Thor back in the day, when that was Oh, that's happening. cool. Um, and I liked that. I thought that was good. I don't remember very much about it. Um... She was best friends with the uh, the big guy. What's his name? Of the three, Torbjorn? No, oh, Torbjorn. Hogan. That's a that's a Overwatch character. I think what, what was his name? Kiwi. Hogan. Hogan. Because he's like hungry Hogan, or oh, something. Oh no! I mean this guy. I mean this guy. Yeah, he he just yeah. Looks that's like, uh, that's that's who I, was, who I thought it was. He just looks oh, like Torment to me. Like that's my when I see him. That's Torment. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I yeah, mean, like, and I read it long I think enough ago. It's not even. <laughs> there's a there's something called Screamer here, which I just always read as Skyrim. Oh yeah, I was absolutely reading that as Skyrimer, which I'm now learning maybe isn't the way it's pronounced. Janos, how is this on your like fantasy? On my fantasy bullshit meter? scale, this is this is this is fine. This is good. I mean, that's 
the thing is, there's a lot of things here that I don't understand. Or that is like... But I don't feel like I need to understand like everything at once. Like there's a good like th- yeah. emotional thorough line or through line of... Uh, okay, this is Thor. He kind of hangs out with the gods a bit. He hangs out with Loki a bit. He hangs out with the humans a bit. He's like a dual, you know, just like... Just like the immortal Hulk, he also has like a human side and a not human side, but they're not at war with each other. They don't try to kill each other. Uh, they actually, it's like both him and he's just like a chill, well adjusted guy. Um, and then there's scary stuff. But it's like the, the thing with Realm of X is that, and you know, I really don't want to be unfair to it, it's unfortunate that they have to pack a ton of fantasy concepts in a five-issue limited series. I think it's only four now, too. In a f- oh, it's only oh, four? Oh. They have to pack all this fantasy know, bullshit in a four-issue limited series, then that's even worse. Either way, like, this is... L. Ewing has, like, a steady pace. He says he has this shit planned out until issue 50. So I, I can just you know, lean back, enjoy the ride. Um, yeah, according to Amazon, it's one of four. Great. <laughs> um, Children of the Atom is also four now as well. Children of the Vault. Children of the Vault. Children of the Atom already happened. Is Children that... of the Vault is a four. <laughs> Was that always it's planned like well. that? Like that's. I don't know. I have no clue. <laughs> it might it's also be that Amazon fucked on up. Wikipedia. For quite a while, so I don't know. But they might have just been assuming miniseries meant five when it could could have meant four the whole time. Maybe. I mean, I know Jean Grey was always four. Um, what does Marvel.com say? Nothing. To go back to the fantasy, fantasy bullshit amount, I think it really helps for Thor that it doesn't build any of the blocks of events. This is what Yash was saying effectively, but like it doesn't build any of the blocks of its story or necessity for understanding any part of the plot on the 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 weirder fantasy stuff uh, and the understanding of its mechanics. Uh, like Realm of X, like a central piece of the plot is this prophecy and what it means to everyone in Vanaheim. Uh, whereas in this, uh, we journey through a variety of the realms, mostly ones that are more familiar in mainstream culture. Um, but it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter whether you know what a frost giant is. Like, the, I mean, it's very easy who's... to understand what a frost giant is. I guess it's yeah, yeah. it's it's in the name. <laughs> like it's it's I, a lot of I, stuff like that. You know, I don't need to. Know, but of... yeah, I don't need to know what the rainbow road is. Like it's a it's a road made out of rainbow. Like I don't need to know all the significance of it. Yeah, like the important bit there is like it was broken and now it's fixed. Yes. Did I? I guess it's a um, rainbow bridge or something. Whatever. I was thinking. Yeah. Of, I was thinking of Mario Kart. I, I always think of Mario Kart when I when I see um, the Bifrost. It's well that and moving all my cards one space to the right on turn four. But I'm I'm always turning that shit into limbo. You, I don't want you moving my stuff around. <laughs> I think it's it. 
there's a lot of stuff here that is coming from Agent Vasgard and um, like Loki's whole deal at the moment is coming from Defenders Beyond, but it all doesn't feel like it has to be. You, like I, I didn't remember. I read Agent As Asgard back in the day. I didn't remember Utgard is in that, um, and but I just assumed it was like a whole new thing, and it reads like it reads well as that. It, you don't need to know. It's just like oh, here's there's another realm. It's sort of higher up. It's more. Uh, it's it's the shadow, or it's what the gods are shadows of. Yeah, um, and it just works immediately. The big like block of text at the start as well is reads funny to me because like ending a sentence with "or what" is just like a thing I do a bunch. It's like, ah, you coming <laughs> over or what? Like, uh, so it just like this like high high fantasy speech, and then it ends with like, "Understand you yet, or what?" Like, it just. <laughs> really yeah it's funny to me yeah it's understandable and like approachable in a way where you don't have to have all the details immediately and like you can bring come with what you are to the table for the story and that's dope yeah um i think there's also something ali wing specifically is very good at yeah um which is writing characters that either have like a lot of comics history or require quite a lot of background knowledge to get like the sort of full depth of them um but writing them in such a way where in incorporates all that but just hits the key points of what you need to know to start reading i don't know a more elegant way to put that but um he does it well yeah. It's it's a very specific thing. Like it's 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 only the kind of thing you need to like it I get it's only a writing tool you would need in like long running comic books and like soap operas. Like there there's it it's a unique position for it to be in. Um which is like um why I don't think many people write this kind of way or do it very well and like not because they're bad writers but there's very little need to do it outside of like issue ones of a comic book and even then quite often you're resetting your own status quo um and can kind of do what you want um but this wraps a, a lot of a lot of continuity very neatly into what it needs to be does and i think like status quo and continuity are going to be a big theme of this book like uh loki's goal as stated at the end of defenders beyond is uh they have the chance to just walk out of the multiverse be free from the stories and instead choose to come back and free everyone from Continuity? I, it's like a very <laughs> sort of big, vague thing, but it's I like... I guess I gotta read Defenders Beyond. <laughs> yeah, it's really good. Um, yeah, I, I think I mean, it's, it's very, very directly. It's very directly leading into what Loki is doing here. Mm, which um, is uh, replacing all of your cards with cards from your opponent's hand. <laughs> yeah. 
I, that's, you know, just turn, turn the Bifrost into something else. It's kind of almost. I also, I love non-binary Loki. I'm so glad. They're yes. so out and proud and about. Has it been like a thing like... for a while? Like, is that something that was established before, or Agent Agent of Asgard is where like Loki was gender fluid more than non-binary, and I would assume still is fluid. I I would assume we're we'll we'll see Loki in other forms in different issues. Um, but that was definitely a thing that like Al Ewing sort of. Or was at least part of popularizing and then hasn't happened as much recently that I know of. And I think then... the first time they started like hinting at it or trying to establish it at least um, was back when Loki was on the Young Avengers. Because I remember there being a little bit of it there. But I think that was like after, that was after Agent of Asgard, right? No, no, um, Agent of Asgard oh, okay. is directly after it's the continuation basically yeah oh okay so it's kind of yeah it's 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 that there's there's an arc there of like kieran gillen journey into mystery young avengers agent of asgard defenders beyond here sort of okay mm. well so i've only read the middle piece of young avengers i guess it's a pretty good piece so yeah <laughs> um but there's like not a ton of non-binary characters in general, but also in the Marvel universe. So it's nice to see like someone that's such such a big main character, like literally the most popular character of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, at least for a long time. Maybe not still. Yeah, and they were like, for as far as far as I understand, like they were kind of teasing it to make it like that in the Loki TV show, and then made it like very straight somehow. Yeah. It, oh, they, aggressively. They, they... <laughs> Yeah, they made the self-cessed straight in the Loki TV show, and, like, it was a really weird move. I love when that happens. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I have a lot of thoughts about the Loki TV show. None of them are important, uh, and it's not worth watching. <laughs> um, yeah, um, support the strike, and that's what I my thought. <laughs> I mean... You don't need to support the strike to not watch any of the MCU TV shows. Like, That's I think true. they're no, very universally <laughs> bad. <laughs> yeah. This last, like, Nick Fury one got, like, the worst reviews of, like, any show ever. There's, like, a behind... Sidebar, the behind the scenes I saw for that show, there's a scene where he's literally, like, sitting in a living room. And almost the entire room is made into made out of green screen. Oh, I love that. It's like, why are you doing that? <laughs> You're not paying your VFX artists anyway. Like, They just voted to unionize, though, I guess. So hopefully Marvel recognizes that, or Disney yeah. recognizes that union soon. I mean, I guess Disney, um, Disney doesn't pay set designers either, or think that it's easier to pay a VFX artist. I don't know. I really love this panel like obviously the art is really great matthew wilson does the, the colors um uh, my favorite like sequence is when they transition from like the rainbow road to midgard and there's just like this beautiful splash like it's just very very classic like i don't know jack yeah. kirby-esque or like classic like superman comic style like uh loki not loki thor 
flying over New York and the way the way it transitions from like fantasy setting to human setting it, it does it really beautifully and like really shows that like aspect of Thor being like rooted in this these two worlds yeah it's 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 really good um I, I always just love like a a hero hanging out and being like a a person who people can sort of socialize with yeah. not just being someone that saves your your life you know yeah. like thor playing chess here and it's- Taking I mean the other and stuff. It's nice. I was going to mention Thor playing chess. It has one of the, it, it's got once like the expression work in this issue is really good and like just the small moment of Thor contemplating his next move in chess it is utterly sold to me by this panel. Um and it's really good. The other association I have is but it's I almost hate to say it because it's a very like guy who's only read one comic, but uh, Grant Morrison's All Star Superman is like absolutely this. This I, I think that's a like, fair humanizing the this this like godly character, like showing the natural like just niceness of Superman, which is like I and you know I know Grant Morrison is obviously an influence on Al Ewing, like uh, he said that Immortal Thor is very inspired by Al. Uh, by uh, Immortal Hulk is very inspired by Grant Morrison's uh, Batman run. So, uh, I think th- does this mark our first like actual mention of DC on the podcast? Oh no, goodbye, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Keep um, talking. I I I think so. Some something might have been mentioned before. I I feel like we talked about Batman for some reason. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah. But maybe <laughs> it might be. Yeah, I don't know. Um, now that you now that you say it, I I don't I can't tell. I feel like it must have come up, but I can't say anything. We have to to, to add some options here. We can either like finish up Immortal Thor talk here, but we can also talk about meta narrative if we want to in the Immortal Thor, because that's probably going to be a theme. That's a thing, yeah. Utgard Thor talks about an Age of Marvels and says... The Age of Marvels is kind of just a, a phrase that's used in the Marvel Universe. It's basically when when the Fantastic Four starts is the start of... I, f- I do feel like it's said in-universe other times. Like, it's not sort of... Um, starting, or you know, it's not uh, the first time it's being brought up or anything. But well, yeah, he also definitely... specifically said, and this is something I obviously didn't know by myself, but I saw talk about this online. That he says this thing about uh, illusion over change, which is famous Stanley quote about how Marvel comics to have an illusion of change because they don't actually change, but always get reset. Mm. Um, That's. Also, the the thing that Loki is directly in opposition to, mm-hmm. the reason Loki wants to escape. So yeah, it's definitely the the sort of yeah the meta narrative of changing stuff within this thing that is huge and kind of can't change. It's really interesting. Yeah, uh, one of the other like specific like 
meta narrative moments is the end of like is it the second page or the third page uh neither of those page eight according to this so i was very wrong um but at the end uh when uh in in talking to the frost giants um uh thor goes my words were not meant for you Skrymir Skyrim Uh, and then Thor goes I am speaking to thee and points directly out of panel to us the reader me? Um, I'm making the RDJ uh, Robert Downey Jr. thing because I was listening Uh, and we're referred to as my unfaithful servant which then becomes Thor referring to the sky and the storm Mm -hmm. um uh, and the uh, at one point in this issue, the narration in the little scrolls is revealed to be Loki, not an unknown, omnipresent narrator. Um, oh, I guess it's not actually revealed to be Loki. It it is implied to be our Loki. Yeah. Um, due to the 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 dialogue of it apologizing to Thor when the story changes such that Loki disappears after fixing the 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 rainbow bridge. Um but that can also not be Loki, that could be this omnipresent uh narrator apologizing for putting Thor back into a story um where he has to move from being happy to being challenged uh again into this cycle uh that is the existence of a character in a comic book, um, which is also very Grant Morrison. True. And there's the, the the literal like the wheel turns, uh, the cycle continues. I think is said as well. Yeah, it's very. Also, that uh, bit the you know pointing at the screen or you know pointing at the audience was the last page of the preview before the. Uh, issue came uh-huh. out so that's just like a fun it was a fun meta thing there as well it, because it's ending on a cliffhanger so everyone goes oh who's it gonna be and then it's the storm which is also just really cool when he just says like you, you've disobeyed me get out of here and then there's just like next page next panel the clear complete clear sky is a really cool moment yeah uh, the Frost Giant Skyrim also calls him the King of Comedy, which is, of course, a reference to the Robert De Niro movie. Um, well, I'll, I'll get around to watching that. That's pretty good. <laughs> and then I'll be able to comment. It's, uh, it's, it's, what, it's what Joker ripped off. Yeah, it's so unfortunate that all I know is that it's sort of <laughs> what Joker was based on. <laughs> I've, I haven't watched a lot of movies recently. Same. I watched, well, yeah. I'm like trying to sit down to watch a movie and then I end up reading comics instead. Like, Oh yeah, that's like the last two months has just been yeah. comics. Which mm-hmm. is probably a good change of pace because I did... You watched I've a lot watched of movies. Like two 280 <laughs> movies this year. Oh my goodness, how do you do that? Uh, so there's this thing called Bingu. Um, Bingu? Where... Like yeah. the penguin? <laughs> it's yeah, it's with a B. It's short for it's like a bingo, but 
is that funny? Yeah, it's a thing on uh, the Pigot Discord where uh, everyone gets a card, or where you submit categories, and then you get a bingo card of 5x5 grid of movies that people have suggested, and then you try and watch them. And uh, I did two cards so I, in, in, in a month, so 50 movies. Yeah, the thing uh, you need to know is that twice. most people watch twenty five movies max. Uh, but Q was like, "No, give me, give me, give me twice as much. I watch fifty, and then you watched a couple of movies that didn't fit on the board. So you actually watched more than yeah. fifty movies in that month, if I remember um, correctly." Uh, yeah, I think I watched wild. like sixty, sixty the first month, um, and it was also in, in the in January. I had watched like sixty movies as well because I watched all the X Men movies again. <laughs> Um, There's not 60 oh, of them. No, but they... And also I watched every John Carpenter movie. Um, okay, there's a, there's a couple of them. Just a bunch of other random stuff. Um, but yeah, uh, I just sometimes your brain goes insane and you decide you want to watch like 400 movies in a year and then halfway through the year you... <laughs> John Carpenter half- movies is a good choice. They're like that's That's a lot of bangers. Yeah, they were almost all good. I had like a big movie watching like at the end end of last year and the start of this year. And then it also like, I I was never, I never went that extreme, but I have like, I just have barely been able to watch any recently unless I go to, uh, to the movies, like to the cinema. Um, But even that, like, I'm gonna see Return of the Living Dead at the at the cinema. I've seen that already. I just like it. So it's like <laughs> I guess a rewatch mode or whatever. Um mm. Nick is currently getting their internet fixed literally, so uh Yeah, it's unfortunate timing. But should we move let's... on to Miss Marvel? Yeah. Oh hold on. I yeah. have one I have one question. How did you find Christine? Um, I uh, think I've come to the conclusion that I don't like uh, Stephen King adaptations <laughs> um, because that everyone has so watched many movies. I know, but <laughs> yeah, but Christine I, is the good one. Just horror. Like, I mean, Carrie and Christine; those are the good ones. I, I agree with you, Anosha. Yeah. Christine has good moments. I watched it with my friend, and we had like it was. The the end was very fun and stuff, but there's just something about the like tone that I I don't yeah. gel with. I get you. Yeah. I um, watched. I mean, I watched Christine after I watched all of his like acclaimed movies already. So I've seen Big Trouble in Little China. I've seen you know, uh, in the Mouth of Madness, and then I was like, and then Christine was like a nice like, oh yeah. I mean, even his even his like. Less acclaimed movies are bangers. Like there was, there was just a nice moment of coming home to some more Carpenter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> three three ten a.m. going back for more yeah. John Carpenter. <laughs> um, I mean, I think it was still a three and a half or something. I gave it like it was still was good. Yeah. It just wasn't. Uh... When the car goes murder mode. I was yeah, and the, the synths are going, that's like... Yeah. 
it's a it's, lot it of is fun. Really good. When when Harry Dean Stanton is there and like immediately sees through it, <laughs> like this kid is sus. <laughs> also, just very funny that they keep saying shitter. Yeah, I was. It's also the, the listen to just king things, and yeah. I feel like they also brought up in the Christine episode that they kept saying shitter for like no, and it was very weird even there. <laughs> So it's like such a Stephen fun King, to see that in the movie. Like Stephen King loves to write like teenagers in the fifties, like speaking insane like lingo. Anyway, that was uh, that was our little movie corner. Oh, do you want to talk about this fucking gods tease at the end of Thor? Uh, this this is I was going to mention this. Um, do we? Does anyone have any idea what gods is about? <laughs> I feel like it's in the same realm that, like, the higher concepts, like, gods above gods that Al Ewing is doing, and I think I'll just like it better when Al Ewing does it. Like, <laughs> but, but also then it's, like, the, like, CIA for magical artifacts or something. Like, Yeah, like, the things that I know about it so far um, are, like... From the teasers, there were various cool-looking guys drawn by Valeri Shitty, who is great. Um, don't don't say Shitty. Oh yeah, Valeri Shitty. It's Skitty. <laughs> Skitty. Yeah. I always want to pronounce the H. Yeah, it's it's the that's, opposite that's as in mistake. German. Like in German, the S C H is the sh, but in Italian, the S C I would be she. So that's if there's a, there's yeah. an H, that means it's a ski. Thank you, Janos. I wouldn't. I wouldn't um, say it usually if it weren't like shitty. If you say it badly, yeah. No, no, no. I, I, I th- 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 that was genuine. He's, I every- it. he's everything but shitty. <laughs> yeah, he's 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 brilliant. Um, and like according to Jonathan Hickman, like it's like this is the other thing that he wrote when he was doing House of X, like pre- preparation, like. Hit- this was the other series bible that he got to use. This is basically started... why he like what I imagine like the way I understand this is that this was Jonathan Hickman had an idea for a creator owned series um and Marvel was like hey if we give you money do you will you come back to us and he was like sure I'll write X-Men but also like give me like money to write this like cosmic story I was thinking of and I'll fit like Doctor mm-hmm. Strange in it and a bunch of other a bunch of my OCs. Like I think it's I think it's gonna be good. <laughs> it's also apparently inspired or based on or like his take on Black Mirror. I have no idea what that initially. means. Then- and Marvel wanted the title to be an acronym, <laughs> but he's like, no I'm not doing an acronym, but you can put dots between the letters and it's a word puzzle. Well, that, I I do think that's very funny that they were so insistent and that he was just like, yeah, sure, and just make it look like that. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't sound like something he would have like come up with. Like, on I think to me the the benchmark for like when because he did a similar thing like in his first like reign at Marvel where he was he was writing Secret Warriors, which was like the Nick Fury series. Mm. Um, and you know that was a very like it was great but it was a very like spy story like using like 
Marvel characters, the Baron Von Strucker was in it, uh, the Viper was in it, like a bunch of those, like, you know, Hydra characters. Uh, yeah. And he, I think he already, like, started writing Fantastic Four, where he, like, between those two made his S.H.I.E.L.D. series, which is just completely insane. Like, it, from the title, you think, oh, this is just the S.H.I.E.L.D. characters, but it's, like, going back, like, across, like, two or three, like, millennia, and it's, like, going back to, like, ancient <laughs> Babylon, like, up until today, with, like, an immortal Leonardo da Vinci, and uh, Isaac Newton is has locked up Nostradamus and tortures him, like, in present day, like, <laughs> just completely bonkers stuff. And that's what I'm hoping Gods will be. Like, if it's something where he was like, I'll write X-Men if you also allow me to write this one. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's that's that kind of, like, millennia-spanning recontextualization of historical events kind of thing is what I now think of as, like, a very, like, Hickman thing. Like, it was the most recent issue of Ultimate Invasion that, like, really gets into, like, the reformed geopolitics of the ultimate world. And it's just like, yeah, this this is some... This is some Hickman going off stuff kind yeah, of Yeah, secret societies which, that like yeah. behind the scenes control shit. Like that's what I haven't read the Manhattan Projects but like his other, that's like one of his creator own series was like about how the Manhattan Project actually didn't just do the one thing but kept like doing more and more obs- like esoteric like secret projects. Um, so I guess that's what that's what he likes to do. Yeah, which hopefully I I also heard something. I read something about how he also like the the recent interview where he says the Black Mirror thing and the thing about the uh, the acronym. He apparently also said in that one that uh, he's right now working on a book for Marvel that he never dreamt that he would be able to do. So, Who people knows? speculate it's gonna be Spider-Man. I don't know. We'll Sp- see. Hickman Spider-Man will be so funny. He that has doesn't seem like the right fit. He put Spider-Man on the wild. Fantastic Four briefly in his Fantastic Four run, and it's great. Like he 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 writes Peter like he has a lot of fun with writing him. He um he did a good Superior Spider Man for when the Superior Spider Man had to be on the Avengers for a bit until they realized it was Doc Ock in Peter's body about that. and kicked him out. It's good there. The the Spider Man stuff in Secret Wars, I mean, it's like Miles and Peter are just sort of they're sort of moving through the battle world or something. I remember. Uh, I think that was good too. Because they're just, like, normal-ass guys, sort of. That's true. He also clearly, like, enjoys Miles Morales as a character, because he he, he appears to, like, dip back into having Miles Morales pop up every now and then. Um, like he's a really important part of Secret Wars. He was at the beginning of Ultimate Invasion for basically that reason. Maybe it's Miles heading over to this new Ultimate Universe or something. That's true. I don't know, like, the the ultimate stuff is, like, it's gonna wrap up with the next issue, 
But after that, like the month later, the series, the Ulti Ultimate Universe or whatever it's going to be called, is going to start. This is also Hickman writing, but this time it's going to be... Uh, I think Stefano Caselli is going to draw the first issue, uh, who does X-Men and also did like worked with Hickman back in the day on Secret Warriors. Yeah. Um, so that could be cool. I like... The Brian Hitch art is like the one thing I don't love about Ultimate Invasion. <laughs> but it's so ultimate. Yeah, I kind of do like it as the the callback it is, but also I don't like... It just feels... I don't ever want to read those old ones that have, yeah. it, or have his art, so I don't know why it works for me here when it wouldn't before. I mean, it's not bad. It just feels very, like, from a different time. Like, it feels very 2000s, I guess. Yeah, it's it's very 2000s to me. So in the sliding timescale of Marvel, has Miss Marvel, like, aged, like, one year or two years since her debut? Or what's the... Yeah, I think so. I think, I think she, like, she's in high school and... and she's still in high school. Implying, yeah, she's, like, she's going like a into senior. her senior year yeah. or something. I think she was like a freshman or something whenever she first showed up. And that was like a decade ago, right? Right? Like it was like in the tens. I I think it's time for her to like at least start university. I think that's kind of what that definitely feels like the vibe of this uh issue is a bit like let's let's move her up a little bit. Yeah. And yeah, maybe they just they just go, oops, oh no, we meant she was a senior last year and now she's in university or something. I wouldn't mind that. Um, I'm also happy for her to be like a teen character for a bit longer because sometimes like with sliding timescales and everything, you sort of like get like a teen character for their first five issues and then they're an adult forever. Um, and it's hard That's to like... Fair. Yeah, when they're forever in their 20s, yeah. Yeah, it's hard to, like, keep characters in, like, Marvel stuff anywhere except eternally their 20s, <laughs> so I appreciate the, like... Miles is in a similar spot, like, I feel like he's also been in high school for 10 years and unclear what age he is. Like, I, it, it feels like he's, like, 17 or in like current stuff, but yeah, we'll see. And um, before we get into like the, the the content of this issue, I really liked this. I liked this way more than I thought I was going yeah, to. Yeah, it was fun. Oh yeah, yeah. I was, I, and it feels very in line with all the previous Miss Marvel like solo series, um, which I have always enjoyed. So great. It, it manages not to get too bogged down in, like, the X-Men stuff, which is nice. Um, because there is, like, there's a lot of Miss Marvel to, to enjoy, and I'm glad that we get, like, what is mostly Miss Marvel with, like, a, a sprinkling of the current X-Men content, you know? Rather than, here is Miss Marvel as a side character in her own book, which I was sort of concerned about after uh, turning up as like the most side of side characters in Spider-Man. So, Miss Marvel: The New Mutant Number One, uh, written by Iman Vellani and uh, Sabir uh, Pirzada, 
and art by Carlos Gomez and Adam Gorham. Uh, Kamala Khan is sent to infiltrate a summer program at ESU sponsored by Orcus and find out what they're up to, leading to her being publicly revealed as a mutant when she fights a Chitori escaping from Orcus custody. Uh, she's also having weird dreams about the different aspect of her lives or aspects of her life she now has to juggle. It's kind of like the dream thing is obviously important, but it is just like she's going to infiltrate this place. That's the 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 main thing that's happening. Yeah, I mean the dream thing is like how it opens, and it's a fun dream sequence. Like it just shows like. The Inhumans and the X-Men and the Avengers and the Champions, you know, all that stuff. She's been in a lot of crews for someone who's, you know, in, in two years, decade, yeah. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. It's this, this is one of those things where it's like, this is the introduction of a character with, despite like being a much newer character than most others, still has like a significant chunk of like stories behind her. And this is very much, uh, like, this is issue one, and it's issue one of the first Miss Marvel series in, like, a while. Um, a dream sequence uh, of her struggling with aspects of her identity is a really good way to set up, like, one of the core themes of Miss Marvel in general is, like, her identity and how she feels in relation to other heroes and other people, while giving you, like, a really, like, quick rundown of, like, hey, these are people she knew or knows. Here are some people she idolizes. Here's a team that she's a part of. Now she's an X-Man. Here's here's a weird man on a surfboard. Yeah, I, I have no idea what to make of the weird man on a surfboard. I'm assuming that's going to be a, a thing. I, I wrote him down... I, I called him Surfer Supreme in my notes, but apparently <laughs> yeah. the... the the Marvel Wiki is going with Doctor Surfer. Doctor Surfer, which I also like. Yeah, Doctor Surfer sounds like a really shitty pop punk band. <laughs> maybe, maybe that's uh, not an official name. Someone on the Marvel Wiki's <laughs> just gone rogue. Yeah, he, here's all the people that she has been directly in contact with. She's had adventures with. Has a connection to. And she's in a point where she has to make a decision, or she feels like she has to make a decision about which way she's going to go. And that's a tough thing to do. I have a law question. It looks like Moon Girl is there on the bottom of the page with the Inhumans. Is Moon Girl an Inhuman? I never knew this. Yeah, she is. Um, Her power is that she can switch... Uh, she can switch consciousness with Devil Dinosaur. Ah, uh, this makes so sense. So she she becomes the dinosaur, and Devil Dinosaur takes over her body, and then does like raptor hands and tries to bite people as a tiny girl, which is like in the early comics, it's the thing of like she gets like treated as a troublesome per- girl in school because. She can't control her power, so sometimes she just turns into, like... A, a dinosaur. A kid, a kid who bites people. Goes dinosaur yeah. mode, yeah. Yeah. Um, which I think she should be allowed to do, but, you know. <laughs> uh, 
so yeah she is an inhuman she she was from that era she's kind of the only inhuman that's survived as a character people care about from that era uh-huh um well actually she has like other people who i think there's a few other kids in her most recent solo series who are just like inhumans who are around new york who are like her age and they hung out as well uh but yeah there's also karnak is there who's really cool he he was very cool back when the inhumans were big but he's uh he's like the guy with the the hoodie and the like white oh that looks like a cool guy um, and he's he's actually he's an inhuman, but he wasn't allowed to get the Terrigen Mists to give him a superpower because he was too strong already. <laughs> and they thought if he had a superpower, he would uh, he he would just like take over everything. Um, because he trained to be able to see the weakness in all things. I am always excited to see when Lockjaw shows up because I don't know shit about the Inhumans. I just got to the part in, like, Hickman's uh, Fantastic Four, where, the, where, like, Black Bolt and the Inhumans get involved. And I'm always, like, in awe at the size of this lad. Um, it's so good that he's just, like, a really big dog that can teleport. Because I know him from Marvel Snap, and in there, like, all yeah. the cards are the same size, so it's, like, uh, you know, the Sentinels are also, like, human-sized. They're, they're, like, the box Sentinels from Alpha Flight. Um, they can walk through doors. Hello, Welcome Nick. Back. Welcome back, Nick. Nick. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you. The only thing I want to talk about uh, in Immortal Thor that I didn't get to is Mutant Watch. Does anyone know who this is? Did you guys cover that? Oh my goodness, no. Uh, no, I, I, I just assumed it was. In it. <laughs> Someone. That is Leon. He is one of the. Um, the Lost Children, what the Lost Club? Oh, oh, well, or Leo? Well, well. Yeah, it's Leo. He's one of the Lost Club, and he has telekinetic abilities. Okay. Oh, <laughs> I didn't. That's. <laughs> I I I kind of doubt they'll be showing up again, but nope, definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> They're a character they stopped writing because they look too much like Morgan. It's so crazy that I, I, I just like referenced it at the beginning, but there's a there's a bit where Thor is like at a party with queer mutants, like they have a trans flag on the wall. One wall there's a trans yeah. flag, and on the other wall there's a poster that says Cyclops was right. <laughs> like I love that Thor is just kind of his world's equivalent of Charles Barkley going to gay clubs <laughs> and being like, if anyone fucks with you, they fuck with me. I think, was, uh, yeah. I, I think Kay or Lucy, I got like really mad when I said that uh, Scott Summers is an honorary lesbian, uh, but the, the trans teens have a Cyclops poster, so there you have it. In the old shit I'm reading right now, he is just so... Fucking awful to both Jean <laughs> and Madeline. It's just like, dude, get your shit together, please. Um, I like the read of Cyclops as autistic. Uh, I forget like where I first saw it mentioned. Um, I uh, like Jay, and, Jay and Miles originally. Yeah, no, it, it was, was it was like Jay, Jay from Jay and Miles who went on Cerebro and then said it there. But Connor was like, oh, I have never considered that. So you know, yeah, I've always liked that as a. 
because a lot of Cyclops is like incredibly shitty responses to people make a lot more sense if you're like oh what if he's autistic um he's very single-minded a lot of the time uh yeah he's also like his head is being fucked with by both mr sinister and camera hodge like he's got excuses yeah (laughs) um i do enjoy his his revolutionary ideals while he has them for a bit after he's murdered Professor X. Uh, <laughs> when they're first fighting Apocalypse, well, I guess it's like the second or third time, but it's the first Apocalypse arc. arc. Um, he's he's just like, Gene, we should, maybe we should join. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, and Gene immediately is like, no, that was not the Professor's dream. And I'm like, eh, maybe you should join. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, Gene is, Gene is a bit of a nerd, like for the professor. Um, we were talking about Miss Marvel. Uh, let's wrap up this dream sequence because we still haven't gotten to the actual comic. The only thing I have left to say about the dream sequence, I really like that the that her Krakoa egg in the dream sequence cracks in the shape of the little Miss Marvel lightning bolt. I think yeah, it's, it's very neat. very cute. <laughs> yeah, I really like that. It's that shit that Kay would get mad about. Like, Kay from, from, from my other podcast, from Babies and Puppies, always gets mad when people have symbolic dreams. Because they're like, nobody in real life ever has symbolic dreams, and that's not what dreams work. Like. And that's what the I dreams in fiction dream are for, though. Week. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely think dreams are, are a point where you work out, like, your internal conflict and, like, take out stress from yourself. Because mm. when I was smoking too much weed, still um i like wouldn't have dreams because i was sedating myself right um and now that i am not smoking as much dreams smoking as much dreams smoking as much weed uh my dreams are really like oh this is the shit you're worried about like get this out of the way now and i feel better during the day so okay there's something to that i thought i thought you were gonna say that when you were smoking a lot of weed you were having dreams about smoking (laughs) weed and that's that stressed you out and that made you stop or something oh no no i just i just took a break for my own self but uh uh, no, you like if you smoke too close to going mm-hmm. to bed, you don't you don't have dream. It's the same deal with drinking. You're, okay, you yeah. just like keeping yeah. yourself from getting the right REM sleep. Um, I love a symbolic dream. Uh, when when there's a dream sequence in any piece of fiction and it's symbolic, I, I'm like I'm clapping and cheering. I'm like I'm taking notes. I'm like oh I hope this comes up again, uh, and and I'm really happy about it. I point at like, especially in a visual medium like comics, where it's like, hey, yeah, this and it's just visually this. fun to. The thing about this dream sequence is that if this were like, you know, if this weren't Marvel comics, like if this were like a serious something that I would like, I'd be like, okay, but like six pages of this is just like all the different teams she was on, and then it's uh, all the characters have her head, like it's a bit. I would say it's a bit, like, heavy-fisted or whatever. Like, it doesn't really add up to, like, anything, like, meaningfully symbolic that we have never seen before. But it's fun colors, it's fun pages, it's, you know, it just looks good. Who cares? It's fine. Well, and it does, like, establish her, like, 
crisis of identity that she's going through yeah. pretty quickly and in a way that's like visually interesting and understandable all yeah. at the same time. And we meet Doctor Surfer. Yes, Doctor Surfer. Yeah. And also the fact that it's like directly tied to her mutant stuff. It's like it might actually be something to do with her power more directly. Um, or because she says she's been having the same dream like every single night um, for months and we see like later on when she's drifting off it's like the same exact stuff is happening again in a way that's like yeah that's like even if you're having a similar stress dream every night I don't know if you're having the exact same dream uh, and then we just get some nice like Kamala like family stuff which is always this it's a good a strong part of Miss Marvel books like um and Bruno who I'm like saluting Iman Vellani for immediately giving him a love interest that isn't uh, <laughs> Miss Marvel <laughs> because I don't like them as a couple and yeah, that's they been like never get back together yeah, it's been like on and off since she started as a character and just f fire him off at this this other girl who is nebulously older, but maybe maybe she's also doing the, the summer course or something, hopefully. Is is Bruno also high schooler? I don't know Miss Marvel. Yeah, they're my... they're in the like same okay. class. Yeah. Um and they're, they're like childhood friends and uh, it's like very typical he has a crush on her stuff to start with um, and then she doesn't see him that way and then they do go out for a bit and, and then, then like they break up and he starts dating someone else and she's jealous yeah. there's, if they're supposed to be uh, not to do like age of discord but like if they're supposed to be high school seniors at this point then it, I mean, she's like, and she says, uh, nice to meet you first time, you're gonna love it. So it's like, she's done this program before, maybe she did it. I mean, if she's like, just started yeah, uni, be. or if she's also in the, like, she's maybe a year older, like, who cares, that's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm ready to cancel her. Uh, uh, <laughs> at any moment, I'm, I'm preparing the dossier. When when she's she's enrolled at the... Uh, Orcus-sponsored university. <laughs> we can age gap discourse about her. Th this character is cancelable at the drop of a hat. She she is making plasma generators for the Nazis. So that's kind of crazy to not, go not to the great. Nazi program. I oh, guess the like, heroes. Part of the idea is that like Orcus has really good PR now. So <laughs> that's yeah, they do. I mean that's. That's one thing that uh, the comic book Harold guy loves to bring up is that why do they keep using Dr. Stasis as a spokesperson when like, he was like signing those open letters and he was on TV when he looks like Mr. Sinister who was shown to <laughs> it was exposed that, that his sins like, that he uh, like the, the whole Orcus PR thing just doesn't work if Dr. Stasis is doing it, basically. Yeah. I, th well, I think that's the one good of the things... Clone. Yeah. 
you just gotta hand wave it ultimately, I think. Yeah, I mean the same with Feilong. Like if it's yeah. supposed to be like a a metaphor for like being hated and feared those who are different, that's like a purple guy. Like Yeah, but he's he's Elon Musk, so he you know like he's got his his stands that are impenetrable. Uh, I like the little going from university into the Morlock tunnels. Um, little little bit of panels uh, as they as they go down as she goes further down the subway. Um, it's it's a it's a nice it's a nice bit of layout. Uh, I think it does a really fun job of sort of like introducing the current X Men and what their deal is. Uh, like with Shadow Cat popping up and being like that alligator is mad at you, and her being like Kate. Can you help? I, I'm being attacked by an alligator, and Kate just leaves. There's kind of a silly thing here at the beginning of this, because all of these X-Books have, like, all of the Krakoa-era X-Books have, like, this data page at the start, where it lists all the characters, like, all the major players in this, and usually it's, like, you know, when it's a, when it's a like, X-Men book or, like, a mutant uh, focus, like, a focus, like, a, a group focus group uh, book, it just lists the members of those, like, all the ones. And there's always going to be other ones who are... In this one, it lists Miss Marvel, Shadowcat, Rasputin, Four, Talon, and Sink as the main characters of this book. And, like, all of those who are not Miss Marvel show up for, like, one or two pages, maybe. Like, they're just <laughs> yeah. here for cameos. It's, like, like you could have put Bruno there. <laughs> or, I don't know. The... <laughs> Yeah, I don't think they generally put, like, the, like, cannon fodder characters, like, the, the damsel characters, like Bruno, in the data pages. I feel Bruno's probably going to end up more significant than that in this. Yeah, I mean, they could also just put Miss Yeah, Marvel I mean, there. I'm not just... trying to, like, yeah. shit on Bruno, like, I'm, he's gonna have agency, but... <laughs> It feels like a weird, like, editorial yeah. mandate or something yeah. that yes. you just have yeah, to put that's... the X-Men team on there. Yeah. Um, I love that Rasputin, like, as Rasputin 4 just runs up and hugs Kamala, lifting her off the ground. Uh, and it's like, oh my god, you brought me back a candy bar. <laughs> <laughs> Also, that she asks, uh, or she's like, oh, did you see the st- Empire State Building Statue of Liberty? And Kamala's like, oh, yeah, no, they're it's fine. They're still there. And it's like, Thor, the <laughs> Statue of Liberty got blown up, <laughs> like, <laughs> next week. Um, Thor shouldn't have been standing there. Uh, but yeah, um, she, she didn't know. I'm so just going to say something controversial. Talon is really hot. Like, I know fans, like, apparently hate <laughs> her, but, like, that, that white streak, I don't know. Talon is hot. Yeah. You're, you're right, and you should say it. <laughs> her and Sink are both hot. Yeah. Like, that's... They're a hot couple, it's a very, and like, I you like know, We know they bone a lot. I don't have like... with duplicate characters. I mean, I mean, damn, they're here with, like... It's it's just them and Rasputin four, as far as I can tell, in the, in the in this basement, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think we saw in uh, the previous X Men issue that like Kate has a room down there too, but it's like got no doors, so only her and Sink can get in. <laughs> and also, oh, well, Kate I guess is like can also get in, but 
she's constantly just off doing other stuff, so like she's never around, basically. Yeah, and we haven't really seen Talon or Sink be doing anything since the fall, aside from like be in the basement planning, which is a really bummer situation for their two characters. They're just the mom and dad of the X Men, and they have to they stay at home parents currently. I think that I think they're neat in this as like, hey, these are the leaders of the X Men now, and I kind of wish they were the leaders of the X Men in the rest of the books as well. More like, especially in X Men, I wish they had a bigger role. But like, uh, that's not what where the story is at at the moment. Um, Kate is literally in like one and a half panels because in one of them she's like all of it, and the second one it's only the bottom half of her body because she's already like half phased into and she's in the character listing at the beginning like one and a half panels i like the stuff with sink and talon even though at the moment all they seem to be doing is you know being standing around in in the basement pointing at maps and telling people to do things like that they do it well here (laughs) it's 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 kind of what they need to be for this issue Um, it's a good pointing that sink does here yeah they're elderly. They can rest. They're both like over a hundred years old. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> it's um. I, I mean, also, how old is Rasputin? Also... Like, <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> that's true. Well, I I think she might be like a year old or something because she's probably like speed aged, like uh, clone or whatever. Didn't didn't uh, did she turn up for the first time in plus one hundred or plus one thousand? So. I think in plus one hundred, right? I thought it was. Oh plus yeah, no, she so spent nine hundred years. Yeah, then, like then then she's like nine hundred minimum. <laughs> <laughs> also, like I, I think if I was Rasputin four and I'd spent nine hundred years like on a spaceship with Mister Sinister and like as like the only person to talk to really for nine hundred years, and then was immediately betrayed by him and one of his clones. I, I I too would be like, wow, this this sewer beneath New York City is the best thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> There's two other people that aren't Mister Sinister to talk to. Um, this is amazing. <laughs> my my friend brings me treats sometimes. Yeah. I like that Sink and Talon are, are there being like, hey. Kamala, you know, if there's anything that's up, anything that's worrying you, like, thank you for doing this, like, espionage for us. Um, but, like, if you're feeling bad, you know, you can always talk to us. You're, like, you're, you're, you're X-Men parents. Uh, and then she's like, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. Uh, bye. <laughs> <laughs> no dreams. Nothing's, nothing's going on. <laughs> she, she hasn't quite gotten, gotten around to it yet, you know? Yeah. And then we get the anti-mutant club. <laughs> Join the Nazi club. Yeah, we go club. back to the surface outside. I mean, ESU. this is where the, like, orchestra's great propaganda bit is, like, <laughs> this is just literal, like, Nazi shit. Like, join the racism club. It's stuck in between the wilderness club and the anime club <laughs> yeah. at, the, at the booths. It's like, join the anti-terrorism club. Yeah, I like that Kamala has a t-shirt that says Radical Gamer. That's fun to me. It's very her. Have, like military groups on your college campuses? 
No, um, fuck no. Because <laughs> we absolutely do in the U.S. Like, there's, like, the ROTC, which are, like, students that are simultaneously doing, like, military training so that they can get, like, a deal on their college tuition. There are similar things in the U.K., um, like the the like the army and the navy and the RAF do recruitment on university campus, um, but it's not. It, it yeah, um, yeah. It's it just doesn't like sound as bad as it is students. in the US. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and that you like y- you go around during the day and you see them like marching. Oh like, yeah, no, there's nothing like that or whatever. No, they have yeah. their own buildings for that. They 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 go to like a little like form a town hall place and practice their marching in there. I assume. I, I had one guy on my course who, who was part of it, and I didn't talk to him very much, so. Yeah, our, yeah our I can't say like I was friends with anyone in the ROTC back <laughs> back then, but, like, even at small schools, though, there will be contingents of it, like, like, the community college here has one. That's wild. Um, yeah, they're they're kind of everywhere, um, and like that's why I'm not at all surprised to see like an Orcus college program. There's this guy who wants uh, Kamala and Bruno to join the Comics Plus Club, and when Kamala says no thanks, he's so bummed out. Like this is the worst thing that has happened to him. <laughs> he thought he was gonna get a radical gamer <laughs> in his group. He was so excited. You have to be careful when you're wearing the Radical Gamer shirt on recruit club recruitment day. Everyone's approaching you. Everyone's gonna ask you to name five video games. <laughs> um, I like that we sort of get the conversation after Kamala has told Bruno. Um, that's like, that's nice, sort of just like his reactions while while she's eating. Um, and this is also a thought that I had quite often in this issue. Uh, this is this is uh, a very Spider-Man. Um, we're, we're in sort of like the Spider-Man area of superhero comics, and it's delightful. I think Sp- I think Peter Parker goes to ESU at one point. <laughs> oh, he teaches in ESU, I think, as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, like, as well it's as goes the- there. Marvel parody of NYU, so it pops up a fair amount whenever uh, they need a college in the city. Uh, spider Gwen, Ghost Ghost Spider, is also currently going here on a multi-universal scholarship because apparently Tony Stark <laughs> set up scholarships f- so people from other dimensions uh, or aliens can like get a scholarship to learn in this university. That's a, that's a good comics thing. Yeah, it's a really good, dumb comics thing. Yeah. The Fantastic Four also have their own, like, in-universe comic about the Fantastic Four. So, like, that comics guy that was approaching her was like, there, there's no Miss Marvel comic in-universe, in right? Like, it's not like... Yeah, no. <laughs> Probably not. <clears throat> they Sometimes they treat the in-universe comics like they're, like, news in a weird way like i think they're trying to like tread the line of like they're comics but they're also biographical yeah there was a bit in like in like the current fantastic four run where like the thing is reading the comics about himself to elisha which you know it was cute but it's It's, also it's really cute uh, just funny to have the thing exist in universe it's kind of funny to me that, and I feel like 
I feel like all the writers currently on the like both Jerry Duggan on the Hellfire issue and Iman Vellani on this one are like kind of leaning into how convoluted they made this. Um, so you're a mutant, but you're also an inhuman. That's weird thing. Like it just because originally the whole like the, the lead up to it with the speculations and everything was like. We were like, there's no way she can be, if she's gonna be a mutant, they're gonna erase her in human stuff, she's not gonna be a human anymore. And now it's just like this, this big joke, I guess. Because <laughs> there's not gonna be an Inhumans versus X-Men again pretty soon, probably. So <laughs> it's gonna stay in the background, probably. Yeah, we've got four Inhumans, so... I guess we only have, oh, like, oh, yes, uh, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe it's the perfect time. They can just play a pickup game of basketball or volleyball or something. Work all their shit out. Yeah, Super Smash Brothers. Um, Bruno's ET detector goes off, and Miss Marvel changes into Miss Marvel costume, her new X Men Miss Marvel costume, um, and springs into action. So, I have a question here. I have a confusion here. Let's say about what Orcus is. I may I may misremember this, but didn't Dr. Stasis say in the Hellfire Gala that if any mutant is sighted on Earth, we're going to use a kill switch on humans? It just doesn't seem like, like they're they, caring about are it. Are they not doing it? Because, like... Oh, I think they're doing it. With, with Iceman, it was, like, fine, because he was, like, trying to, like, show up and then disappear, and it was, like... It was that Iceman, like, that was all the news. Was like, Did we just see Iceman? But, like, here with Miss Marvel, she is, like, in the X-Men costume, and she's, like, on the news. That there's a new, there's a mutant Miss Marvel now. Like, why is she... It just seems like a really bad idea to wear the X-Menized costume in public. Yeah. It kind of just seems like they're not really following, like... The, the authors are not really following through on that threat to a degree. Which I guess she doesn't, like, she wouldn't be detected as a mutant or whatever, so maybe they're just like, oh, she's an inhuman, she's working with the X-Men. But also, why would Orcus care about that? They would still just, like, pull the switch. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I, I think the Orcus is just killing people that are using the medicine still. I think they kind of tried to establish that, and either, I can't remember if it was Immortal 14 or X-Men 25, like, it was a few weeks ago, they showed, like, there was, like, one big panel in one of the books of, uh, like, a person who had been taking the drugs just, like, dead, um, on their kitchen floor or whatever, um, and so I think Orcus is just doing it when they think it's convenient, but they can't just, like, do it in the exact way they describe in the Hellfire Gala, because, um, like, that kind of runs counter to their own, um, uh, like, PR move, because then it would seem like, oh, these, these medicines are, are maybe not being controlled by the mutants as much, but also now the medicines are not being produced, so, like, who's taking them? I guess it's just it's still in your system yeah. from previous. Yeah, I think the idea is that it's like in a lot of people's, like in a lot of humans' system. It just feels like if they're doing, I don't know. It just, just feels like 
if they're like not do or if they're killing people anyway or if they're not doing that if they're not following through then i don't know what like i don't know what their threat is supposed to hold like if they're they're just not following through on their big threat yeah i guess there's room for us to see more of it coming up but right now it is a big question one potential thing is like that was that could have been like just their threat to Charles, like that was one hundred percent like all that was was leverage of a threat to Charles, and they're not actually that interested in just like killing humans. They just want to be being fascists against the mutants. So now that Charles has gone away and depressed, and most of the mutants are like off in space, they're like. We'll 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 leave killing people for another day. I'm not sure is my answer. I think the Orcus's plot that entire night went screwy because we find out in I believe Immortal and not X Men this week that uh they um they thought everyone was gonna go to Arachno. Yeah. Yes. We find that out in Immortal. Yeah, I mean I guess Okay, yeah. I guess their threat maybe only makes sense as a threat to Charles. So if they can't like directly put influence on him, like if they can't pressure him into something, maybe they just don't care then. Uh, but they do care when they see yeah, they mutants. Yeah, they got what they want out of it already. I guess they're just bit. I guess now they're just trying to kill mutants if they see any and like sometimes randomly kill humans. It just feels like the weight of that that like really scary threat in the Hellfire Gala issue uh, is like not felt across the other comics. Yeah. I guess it's like J- Jerry Duggan is sort of sticking to it in his stuff at least because, you know, they're very underground and like Uncanny Avengers are not they're well, they're killing anyone who sees them basically. But like yeah, it it just didn't quite carry over to everything else. I guess like Children of the Vault, they're also just killing any Orcus people that see them, so... <laughs> and But, uh... Yeah, it's a bit of a waste, sort of. I need this 17-year-old Kamala to start murdering people every time they see her. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just really the the, the, the... the essential point here is, like... Her having the X costume feels like it makes more sense from a Marvel comics book comic book's sales perspective than from the character story perspective. Yes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Um, she then punches the alien who is all, uh, all, all effed up with tubes and stitches um, and is then like, let me die and is about to explode and uh, Miss Marvel, in what I'm going to refer to as a very Spider-Man moment, saves everyone from the explosion with her with her inhuman powers. Um, but then everyone who got saved from the explosion is mad at her because she's a mutant and they thought she was attacking them when actually she was saving them. Uh, and uh, then everyone's taking out their phones and being, being mad at Miss Marvel. Um, and uh, then she shrinks, which is something I didn't remember that she could do, and runs away. I think she kind of couldn't for a while, and then because she did the shapeshift thing, 
to save or is how she died. Now she's like, oh, I can still do that, I guess. It's weird. Yeah, I mean, in the Miss Marvel OG run, I'm pretty sure she can do it. But it's like she stops being able to. And then it's just oh, like, okay. it's just the, you know, embiggening, which what she calls it. But Yeah, it's a word from The Simpsons. <laughs> uh, yeah, it is. I, it's just what she has always called. I kind of forgot. I would associate yeah, it most strongly with Miss Marvel. To me, it's just a our, our P God bot command Simpsons. now. Like that's uh, where. I, I then I found out that that's that from the from the Simpsons originally. I have n- I have never watched the Simpsons, so I don't know any of these things. I know who Bart is. Well, yeah, what more do you need, really? Um, uh, I like this. I like. I like that she's going to be sort of like a a mutant saving people, but because she's mutant in anti-mutant times, everyone's going to be mad at her. And part of that is her, like, uh, we get her, like, sort of accepting that and being like, I'm going to keep doing the right thing, um, but being very upset about it, which, uh, you know, Bruno, nice boy as he is, is like, you know what we can solve this with? Oh, no, actually, she suggests the, the gaming. Uh, and they and they game through the night, um, which feels very, you know, teenagers at college. Yeah, it's. Uh... Oh my god, there were so many classes I missed because they were at eight a.m. <laughs> like, you cannot expect a college student to be at an eight a.m. lab. IMO. Yeah, I remember when like Fallout Four came out, and like a bunch of people were missing from class the next day. <laughs> Um, the the cover tease for the next issue has like Miss Marvel fighting alongside a an alive legs working Cyclops and a Wolverine. Like I kind of doubt that that's going to happen. I don't know. Oh, there's yeah, also like a Doc Ock arm back there. Mutants in the in the covers. Like I don't think we're gonna see her with Jubilee and Gambit in a couple <laughs> weeks either. <laughs> Or we, she'll just be having a dream about it. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that could be. Or, like, they'll do the, the thing Marvel, I think, is doing way too much, and be like, oh, these are all the adventures she has already had with the X-Men that you have never seen before, and we're going to spend more than half the issue in a flashback you don't really need to read. When would she have had those? I don't know, but that was that's more me complaining about the the Wolverine... Um, Ghost Rider book. <laughs> she had a uh, at least one or two Wolverine uh, team ups. Yeah. Oh yeah, like in the past, like before. Okay, before she became like. Okay, I see. Yeah, I th- I thought it would have like happened before her like rebirth and now like in those X weeks. Oh no! I just I I mean like five or ten years ago or whatever. Yeah. I mean, I guess she's teamed up with Cyclops a bunch. Well, it was they Team the Cyclops. That's, this is about Cyclops. Yeah. yeah. I don't yeah. know. No, I I'm think it's probably this is, like... This is just fun cover-up. Yeah, to sell comic books. Yeah. Yeah. Which... For sure. To be, uh, now, to be, to be fair, all of these are to sell comic books. So uh, it's not really anything. X-126, written by Jerry Duggan and drawn by Jim Tao and Javier... Pina colors by Marta Garcia. Uh, the mutant resistance continues to work against Orcus, 
using Kingpin and the Hellfire Club as cover to keep their assets intact. Shadowcat attempts to assassinate Firestar but is convinced that she is really a mole in Orcus. Tony covers an argument between herself and Emma Frost in her Hazel Candle disguise by pretending he is proposing to her. I have a lot of opinions about this issue. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's get into it. We're back in the Jerry Duggan corner. Only one. Only one Jerry book this week. Uh, I like the little quote from Ben Yurick at the beginning, saying, like, Wilson Fisk bends the courts to his will, and he began anew the second he arrived back in New York City. Like, that's a, that's a fun little, like, hey, Kingpin's a big deal. Yeah. And he, sh- he should be, yeah, it's a good, yeah. Ben Yurick is, like, one of Jerry's guys, like, he wrote him a lot in his run, like, it's, it seems to be, like, one of his big characters to write. Yeah. Um, I really, really like the, uh, we, we get an opening, like, recap of some of the stuff that happened to Krakoa and how it affected Kingpin specifically, um, with Typhoid Mary going off to be in Realm of X, um, and then we get... Uh, a scene in the Morlock tunnels uh, where I really, really, really like the presence of Kingpin in the art for this. Uh, very just scary. so imposing. Yeah. He's very scary, but the scariest panel is also very funny because <laughs> of his two little white eyes. <laughs> oh, yes. So, like, he, he looms over Emma. Like, his hands are, like, the size of her head. And, like, there's the resources that will be needed for our war effort and then her like very resigned like very well and then in a smaller font it are does you going look to make like me say it this one panel does look like they're posing for an album cover oh <laughs> where where he's directly behind her yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and she's doing the calm hands yeah and looking to the side um she is like shadowed by Kingpin, and Kingpin is like a figure in shadow. And like as Nick said, the most intimidating panel is also very silly. Like it's it's an intimidating panel, but it's also like funny because of the effect of like his these two tiny dot eyes. Um, I think Kingpin kind of works really well in that mode where he's like this really intimidating big guy who like can look goofy, but is very much like a murderer with no morals and a vast criminal empire. Like, it doesn't matter how goofy he looks when he can kill you. There's, there, there's like a really good, um, you know, this is like the core of what Kingpin is thing in the Chipsarski uh, Daredevil run, where uh, Daredevil like uses mind control to make make you he's like kingpin feel all of the pain you've caused all the deaths all everything and he just like there's just like a, a panel beat and then he's just like done <laughs> like he just he he felt it all and he's he doesn't care and he's just going to like he's going to keep fighting um and that's kind of the thing here except it is more personal to him and he just wants revenge. Kingpin's at his best when, like, he believes he's righteous, and I think that's, like, most Kingpin's appearances, he ends up that way. Um, but he is very, very convinced that he's the good guy. 
like 90% of the time. Yeah, and I think... Just doing the most awful shit. He's convinced of that here as well. Like, because he's like, I'm doing this to get my wife back. And if, if what I have to do to do that is depose Emma Frost and make her subservient to me again in what must be, like, a very disturbing and, un- like, horrible turnaround for her, that's what I'm gonna do, because for the Kingpin, like, he needs to be in charge, he is the power, that's the only option. And it is the only option Emma Frost has, and that's kind of horrifying. And it alludes back to, uh, I think it was in The Marauders when um, we get a bit of Emma's history with Kingpin and how she used to be an agent of his that was constantly, like, working for him in order to, like, establish her own fortune. And she's like, oh, you're gonna make me say it. I, can you help me? And he's like, but let's be clear, you work for me now. I'm in charge. Yeah, I think it was Devil's Reign. Oh, I love the panel of will you help me with Emma turning her face like into the shadow it's just this this sliver of her face in the panel but it like it expresses so much yeah it's like uh, a horrible like moment sort of that she she is ha- having to do this and also that like it's the, the only choice they have and it's kind of just the right choice to make like he you, you want the same thing. Mm. One of his fingers is like as large as Emma's entire arm. Like. He's very big. This is a big guy. <laughs> I mean, this is why <laughs> comics work as like a visual, like, and especially as like, because like in the, in the uh, Netflix Daredevil show, he was just like, he was Vincent D'Onofrio, so he was still intimidating, but. He was like a regular large guy, but uh, you know, this is why it's why comics can be great because you can make a guy very large. Yes, without compressing <laughs> him down. <laughs> you can just move that slider past the the boundaries. The first couple times I saw the Vincent D'Onofrio Kingpin, like I wasn't familiar with Vincent D'Onofrio's other work, really. And I didn't think he was super intimidating initially until you see a little bit more of him sh- in the show and he gets to really get into it. But like Kingpin is, it's so easy to just establish him as being a monster by making him this kind of like brick shit house mm. who's like always imposing. He was in one of the movies we covered on Sicko and Ebert, and I'm trying to remember which one. I don't think it was a Polly Shore one. I hope for his sake it wasn't. <laughs> was it in Vincent Sa- in uh, Stuart Saves the Family? I... Yes, he was in Stuart Saves His Family as um, one of Stuart Smalley's uh, as his older brother or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's... You can cut this all out if you want to. He wasn't that. <laughs> Um, and he was good in that. Like, he's he's good in everything, even if the movies are not that great. Um, he's yeah, he's super talented. Like, as as a contrast, like the Spider Verse movie had like a huge kingpin because that can do that. So yeah, had the like what's in the Spider Man video game? I think you fight kingpin is your first like boss fight in that game, 
and he's literally just like running through giant concrete beams holding up a building <laughs> and in that fight you crash through floors because he's so huge and he's just destroying shit all over the place and i was like i didn't even think the kingpin had superpowers <laughs> but maybe <laughs> um and then we'll get some hellfire gala uh, not hellfire gala hellfire club, club panels I keep I keep wanting to call the club the gala. Yeah, <laughs> it's just it's burned into my brain now. There was so much gala talk, mm. uh, and then we get like we get a lot of narration. Oh, this from is so the much text. text. Boxes here. <laughs> um, I sort of get why they need to put this much in, but again, it's the. It's... I think this, it's at like, Jim Shooter like. Eh, 70s 80s levels of every every issue they're explaining everything again like it's your first issue and on the like decompressed scale of modern comics that just doesn't work to me i it just banshee like, can't use his voice because he lost it uh in yeah. 10 issues ago claremont, well, we're gonna say that every claremont panel gets all that out of the way <laughs> Caramel oh, gets that, that all out of the way in three, three pages. Hundred issues. <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't take like twenty out of twenty-five. I mean, it's just the, the weird thing about the narration is that in uh, Invincible Iron Man, the narration is from Tony's voice because he's writing his autobiography. So it's weird to say to see the constant narration in the other book as well when it's not Tony's autobiography. Like it's just weirdly mixed like when these when these two stories interact uh, or like interlap any or overlap anyway yeah if there was like more of a voice or like if a character was doing the narration i think that would soften it somewhat because is is it meant to be ben Urich still oh maybe or is I that just so. uncanny oh yeah that, that would be good i wish that was clearer but, like i don't think there there's no personality to it. There's no, like, flair to the narration. I don't think it can be Ben, because I think it has information in it, unless it's supposed to be him in the future, yeah. mm. um, that he wouldn't have right now. I mean, maybe. Maybe that's going to be a huge reveal, and uh, we're all going to clap. Hey, ben Yurik was a mutant the whole time, too. <laughs> we're going to get the end of the first Justice League New 52 arc, where they just... Like, oh, actually, this one character who's been in the background has now written the entire thing into a book. Oh, like at the end of Game of Thrones? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> ben, and who ben has Yurik a better story than the Marvel ben encyclopedia for us all? Yeah. Ben Yurik turns into Stan Lee. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to be too much of a hater here, but... Uh... I'm very frustrated with the Firestar stuff in this issue oh, as yeah. well. Oh, yeah. That's the worst part. That, like, Emma like, knows already. Yeah, she Emma just knows, knows about Firestar and is like, hey, t t Tony, tell Firestar that an assassin's gonna kill her. <clears throat> A rogue, rogue and, mutant assassin. Um, And then Kate just, like, knows by the end of the issue as well. And it's like, I, it seems like this has to be a bit compressed, at yeah. least. Like, maybe maybe they thought they were getting more than five That's issues to start say, with. Yeah. But, yeah. I also think the way they're setting this fire stuff 
star stuff up right now is um that they're gonna go back a little bit in time and tell more of her story about it and then it might be more gratifying but this might just be a case of like us getting information in a weird way that doesn't hit at least right away it feels Um, it feels very rushed to me in a way that like the the jerry zagan like issues usually don't feel like it it really feels like he had to like compromise somehow or like had like a story planned out and they were like nope you have to wrap it up in five issues um something is gonna happen in december i don't know (laughs) i think it was it's better in this book than it will like the quick shit in immortal really? i felt like was worse this past week mm. than, than it was in this book yeah because i like the like i like the fight that kate and firestar have and i think oh, yeah, firestar does have to like establish um allies at some point um but i think it would have been more interesting if we saw like the content of her email at the end and the one data page where she's like emailing her dad being like return my avengers card to tony stark like obviously that's that's how she's getting information to tony is through her her father or like somewhere around there and if we got that first i think it might have been more compelling than us finding out like oh no she's made up with kate well i guess they don't really have much of a relationship before this but like kate knows what's going on emma knows what's going on um but I do like that Kate's like, I'm not telling anyone your shit. Like, you can you can fight the juggernaut <laughs> in two issues. That's your problem. Yeah. I I also didn't like that letter, because it, it was like, it's the same as her crying in the last issue, where it's like, this feels so obviously like a coded message, or like, her trying to say, no, Dad, I, I promise I'm not actually a bad guy. I'm a good guy. Which, obviously understandable to want to say that to your parents but it felt very you are just not doing a good job of being a spy and you really need to do a better (laughs) job of being a spy um the one of the other reasons i think this book feels uh like this issue specifically can can feel a little more rushed is we do have in between the hellfire club bit and getting to kate getting to the space station uh, two pages where we just have Miss Marvel doing a little stuff for a bit. Um, yeah, just kind of doing like parallel to people being harassed for you know the the wrong reasons. Weird way to phrase it, but you know, like the, the again the sort of thing. The real life meta or the real life parallel of like people being harassed for um when when there's a rise in this like fascist stuff, it's like not just the people it's being aimed at that are being hurt, it's everyone. Like Yeah, it's yeah. like every every marginalized person basically, yeah. It's it's yeah. It's drawing a nice clear line between those things, um, but it being like Miss Marvel and having like again a lot of this narration, like talking about, hey, here's what Miss Marvel's deal is now. Um, I mean, it's good that she does this, uh, and it like it fits for Miss Marvel to like help people, obviously, but it is like it just feels like uh, 
Jerry Duggan has to do a lot of like heavy lifting to tie this entire universe to like to tie all these lines together like in this main X book and it's like the five issues 20 page issues just doesn't give it enough space like if this had been two issues uh it would have been really good i think yeah i i think that's right like it's it's just sort of like x-men is the core book of the x stuff which means it has to spend a little bit of time each issue to be like hey this is what's going on in our other books and that that takes away page space and art and time from the 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 main story of it for for reasons i understand but like it does make the issue like a little less strong as a whole I mean, I I don't think we sh- we needed to spend as much time with Tony and Emma that we did in this issue. I kind of think it ended up being laid out this way, maybe in part because they want to do the dual covers. But like, it does seem uh, a little that way. Not a lot happened in the last Invincible Iron Man, so it might have been better to use what's happening here in that story. Like, I know I I made the joke on the last episode, like Invincible Emma Frost, because she's like kind of taken over that book. But, like, lean into it. Like, give give this shit to her in that book. Give me a better reason to be reading Invincible Iron Man, for one. And, like, on top of that, like, give me more space on the page to see what's going on with these other characters. And get a little bit more of um, Firestar's, like, situation, Kate's motivation, because that's being, like, bl- blown past a little bit, even though we have spent a fair amount of time on it. And then give me some some sinking talent in here because they're not in the oh, issue yeah. at all. I think the Iron Man issue was better paced than this one. Not a lot happened in it, but there was like appropriate amount happened for a twenty page issue. Um, <laughs> but I think probably the bigger issue is uh, having to shuffle around which things happen when when they're. There, there's being a release schedule. Maybe the uh, Iron Man issue, like the Iron Man wedding issue, was like pushed forward, so you had to put this stuff into this one, right? Like you had to, you you knew he had, you knew you t- you had to do like an X Men issue and an Iron Man issue where the wedding stuff is set up and paid off. The release like panned out in a way where he had to put all this Iron Man stuff in this one, but also a bit of the Firestar stuff because that's gonna be also relevant. Um, it's uh, it could be like a uh, comics um, delivery pipeline issue. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of ways this could have like outside factors can have affected this. Um, I want to get onto the bit of the issue that I really enjoyed, which is uh, Kate going all John Wick um, on Orcus uh, for for a few pages. For me, I think last issue like sets up her motivation like well enough she's she's edgy now she's okay with murder and she's gonna get back at orcus in any way she can on her own she she's on her john wick revenge quest do you think these orcus guys being i mean this is a kind of like meta talk i guess but do you think these orcus guys all being dressed up in these like Stormtrooper uniforms, basically, like in these, all being like in the same, like faceless uniforms, just gives the 
gives the writers uh, or the creators a bit more leeway for Marvel to be like, yeah, you can slaughter a ton of people. Like, as long as we don't see faces, Oh, yeah, absolutely. They're in, like, the A and B hives, I think, is the, like, Marvel term for it. One of my favorite panels in this issue is after Kate's, like, obliterated a bunch of people. Um, just her, like, bloody footprints over the yeah, the, the vision of Earth and her just standing intimidatingly about to enter a door. Like, it's good stuff. Yeah, it's, I, like, the fight is just cool. Like, the splitting the guy in half. Yeah, it's it's so fun to see Kate's usually, like, relatively passive or, like, problem solvy power to be used for, like, extreme violence. And we've probably said this last episode as well with, uh, with Uncanny Avengers, but it's, it's cool how much uh, they, they, like, unequivocally, like, lean into, uh, yeah, just, we're just killing Nazis now. That's what, that's what these, these books are doing now. And then we get Firestar trying to explain things to Kate while Kate is trying to kill her. I think this is like a fun Kate. a fun scene. Yeah, I agree. I I really love Kate coming in the long way, just like jumping out into space. And then coming in through the back window. <laughs> it kind of looks like she jumped. She uses one of the uh like Orcus drones bodies too to like launch herself back yeah. into the right direction, which is cool. <laughs> I would love to see this sequence animated. Like, that would be sick. Uh, also, like, Firestar going full fire mode looks very cool. Yeah. Like, I, they're drawn are very wavy and, like, the flames coming off her in a very interesting way. Yeah. Um, really good art. And then F- F- Firestar sort of, like, incredibly quickly it seems or at least it's a lot of text in a in a very in like, a small in just font, like yeah. two bubbles explaining yeah she's definitely supposed happened. to be talking fast yeah that's a bit of a lettering joke there there's the crack it classic crack but then at the bottom of the page you get a really nice wood <laughs> which i don't even really understand <laughs> what the wood is like her pulling oh, her sword her out of the oh yeah she does it one more time I didn't. I didn't read like notice that that was a punch until now, and I was like, "Oh, what does she mean? That last punch was just for sure." Yeah, her fist is like covered fairly well by Firestar's body in that panel. The four appearances, but then also having Firestar have you know talked about her whole deal very quickly, um, sort of contradicting slightly. Like if there are people watching. I don't think I would have told this person that I was undercover. Oh yeah, I think Kate is just hitting her for the sake of hitting her. Like, I think she's still like getting her anger out. And she's like, no, oh, don't worry, it was for appearances, I trust you now. But I don't think she does fully either. That, that, that makes sense too. She says she believes her because that's something that Jean would do. Uh, yeah, which is... It's, it's... Yeah. It does seem like something Jean would do. <laughs> it's just kind of, I mean, it's kind of, again, not, it's not great storytelling, but it is kind of funny that it works out in a way where, like, it takes 
two issues for Firestar to just blow her whole cover to at least one person and just like completely rattle down the entire thing that she was supposed to keep secret from everyone. But also that's what I would do if I was about to be murdered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, fair. Can't, can't blame her for that. I think Kate and Firestar both also have like a very interesting um, like parallels as characters from like their early introductions because Firestar is literally being mind controlled or emotionally manipulated by Emma mm. into like training to be an assassin and Emma tries to do the exact same thing with Kate but Kate ends up being saved by the X-Men um, and so there is a little bit of like I didn't get the opportunities you did get here. Um, and she says, like, consider having to defend yourself as your danger room trials. And it's like, dog, Emma made a shitty danger room that was going that was torturing this girl for a long time. <laughs> yeah, Kate is very cool, very cool here. Like, just to state the obvious again, if it hadn't been like set up <laughs> with the previous issue. But uh, she, she just kicks ass. Um, I love the bit where Firestar is like, still don't try. You still don't trust me, and Kate's like, "No, fuck you! I don't trust you." This is this is the part that I have the most thoughts about here, which is we get what the setup to what I want the next issue to be, which is Kate in the alley behind the Hellfire Club being like, "Hey, Emma, it's time for us to team up and go on a murder revenge spree together on Orcus." We're going to make a good team. There isn't a single one of them we can't kill together. And, like, to me, as a reader, it's like, I've wanted to hear those words. You know, I've, I've wanted Kate to be like, Emma, I've abandoned morals. It's time, to, it's time to just murder people because it's arguably the right thing to do. <laughs> um, and I want that. I want that issue. And then, and then and it, uh, but, that, but we're not going to get it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't think they're ever really gonna be able to explicitly yeah. say but like i want that i want i want emma frost and kate pride doing john wick shit against orchids <laughs> for the next three issues <clears throat> yeah i would be very down to read that version of the story <laughs> just like em- emma doing a fastball special and kate <laughs> just like spinning around like a beyblade with swords exactly like, that's there's so great. much potential because the the Iron Man issue is gonna do like his side of the wedding, but I could see the next X Men issue still taking place like during or after the wedding or something. Maybe maybe they could go sicko mode there. I don't know. We'll see. I would love that. I would be very happy if it. If it I feel did like there's still to gonna be. I mean, this this wedding is already surprise surprise not what it was advertised to be. <laughs> um, I. I would love there to be like one more like big twist or like big something. Oh, I de- there's definitely gonna be. Um, we get three really good panels, which unfortunately have a bunch of narration on them, because um, it's it's like a slow thing of Emma going into the Hellfire Club, like going through three doors and then seeing Phalong. Um, right after she's been talking to Kate about how they're gonna go sicko mode on 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 Orcus, and like has a split second decision, which Tony then like grabs her away from. The coloring work is so beautiful on these like nighttime scenes. 
the the art is fantastic the panel layout is fantastic it's it's really really good and i wish those text boxes of narration weren't there because <laughs> i think the art carries it without having yeah. to spell it out because the art yeah, is so strong yeah you could literally remove these uh narration panels and you would understand what's happening here yeah yeah uh and then we and then in in one of the a sort of a, a Jerry Duggan type tone shift. Um, we we get like Emma Frost and Iron Man having an argument. That's good. That's good stuff. And he's like, he smug smile. You wouldn't dare touch my mind. Uh, and then Emma <laughs> just whacks him in the crotch. Um, and and then like sit sitcom style. <laughs> Oops, I accidentally yeah, proposed so to my assistant. Tony's like, oh, I'm I'm actually gonna marry Emma Frost. Uh Hazel Kendall, I mean Oh mm-hmm. and then and then psychically to Kate, she's like, Oh, uh, something's come up and she's like, Me too. I'm I'm going off to do something else. This is very funny. It's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> it's very like Oh yeah, it was it was always just gonna be some bullshit and this is a very good like kind of bullshit for it to be. My 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 most hopeful big twist Jerry Duggan prank um <laughs> what the wedding actually is is that like Emma Emma and or Tony and or Kate are about to go sicko mode on Phalong and kill him, and they have to come up with the wedding as like a cover story. That's that's my hope. That's my hope. I I just had the thought of like, what if the next issue just started with Emma saying no? <laughs> <laughs> like... You can see Scott kind of frowning on the cover. Like, I know he's not going to be at the actual <laughs> wedding, but it is so funny to imagine, like, Emma getting married to Tony and Scott being there with Gene. Just like, that's that's my girlfriend. That's my girlfriend. Hey, I, I would love to see that. I mean, this is, again, like, my wishful thinking is, and maybe it's going to be something along those lines, is I would love to see them, like, somehow improvising, uh, like, along the lines of what what Holly said, right? Like improvising a front to do like some sicko shit or to do like some sub heist on Baylong. I guess Tony still needs to get some stuff from him. That's why he's stopping Emma from killing him. Yeah, he's gotta like figure out the secret to uh the Stark Sentinel. Tech yeah, so that's gonna so be that what he the can then build better armor. That's gonna be what the Iron Man issue is gonna be. I think they're gonna do the wedding and gonna fucking Phelong is gonna be invited and then he like somehow steals his <laughs> secret formula. <laughs> I don't know. I mean my prediction is that the wedding is gonna be a front so that they can get like Phelong away from his like own shit and Kate can go and save Scott because Scott is the Scott's eyes being shut and him being up on that like X crucifix is the the cover for the next issue of X-Men, Yeah, the the so. cover for the next issue is 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 gnarly. Like that's it really is, yeah. Yeah. Like the smoke coming out of his eyes is just oof. And he's still in his uh 90s costume from the gala, which is dope. I love that costume. 
Yeah, it's it's good. Uh, effectively, like as much as I enjoy like sitcom accidental wedding being the the like what what's actually happening in the wedding of Tony Frost and Emma Stark, um, Jerry Duggan, you've presented me with the potential for Emma Frost and Kate Pride going sicko mode on Orcus, and then you've put you've taken it away from me. <laughs> and and now and now you've presented it to me. That's all I want from X Men. <laughs> so in a way, my main feeling is this shows me something that I want more than what I think the story is going to be. Which, fair enough. <laughs> Don't remind me a bit of a better comic in your comic, even if this is a comic you're making up. Also. <laughs> <laughs> Don't give me inspiration and make up better shit in my head. I'm torn because the most of the Jerry Duggan's like main X-Men run was like forgettable. But at the same time he did write the Hellfire Gala, which was sick. And like shit went down on that one. He also wrote the the, the issue where the terraformed Mars. So he can sometimes like step up and write something really cool. Um I just wanted to do that more often. He he's got some hits in there, but it's just it's just, it doesn't always hit. <laughs> yeah, I think like Jerry Duggan is a really good writer that gets in his own way sometimes. Like by like I don't want to say overwriting, but it's like close to overwriting. You know, like like we were getting at with those panels that like don't need narration. Um, and like I understand the long comics history of like. It, anyone should be able to pick up a comic and be able to kind of know what's going on in the issue regardless of when it is, because that's how a lot of kids get into the the work. Yeah. Um, but I I think it's it's you're shooting yourself in the foot a hair here, um, just a little bit, you know, by like presenting so much extra text we don't need. On the yeah. Page. I mean, that's an issue. I, I think I think Duggan is also like, is not to like analyze a guy I don't know personally, but like from like what I hear from other writers in the X Office and his appearances on Kieran Gillen's podcast and on Sorry Bro, it seems like he's like a team player to a fault. Like he's or he's like a he's like almost too nice of a guy. Like he uh <laughs> every time like someone brings up something he did, like it's it's like oh when when the fan vote happens, he's just rolling with the punches, and he's just like, take whoever, he'll just take whoever they put on the team, like, he'll just gonna, he's just gonna take those, he'll, he'll take the, you know, the, the issues that are kind of, like, there to keep on the continuity, like, he'll just, you know, he'll take off work from others if, if that's wanted, or pass something cool to other writers if they want it, like, I, I, I think like him juggling these like main continuity continuity issues is like he's doing it so the other writers can go off right cooler shit, but also like gets in his own way in that. Well, and I don't think it helps that he's writing both Invincible Iron Man and uh, X Men yeah. right now because there is like a lot of overlap in stories. So if you're reading both series, it does feel like, a bit repetitive in a way that it wouldn't necessarily if you were just reading one or the other. Yeah, I think that's the other thing, is, like, it, as as much as we complain about the narration, he is, it, like, inarguably good at, like, making sort of, like, the, these glue, like, all, all the rest of the stuff glue together well enough in an issue. 
that that like it does let everything else um uh not think about it as much because like the core x-men book does so much to sort of like group stuff together and do the little bits of setup that you might not get otherwise he's yeah he's he's doing work that has to be done i guess with like Talon and sync for example like barely showing up is something that is like it's a problem in a team book but at the same time yeah. if this is just the emma and kate pride book like that's also great like it's just it's just a shame that it can't just be that, right? Like, because it is called X-Men. Uh, as much as that would, like, suit him so much better. That would be, like, sick. Like, that would be great. Um, and, the, you know, it is still, like, most of that. But then you can say, well, where's Talon and Sync? Like, those are the technically the leaders of the X-Men right now. Yes. I don't know how he can, like... It. It just seems, like, really compressed like a you know the next preview cover for the next issue shows cyclops um which is obviously also happening kate says she's off to do something else that has come up i'm just it's just so much going on in so little time i really wish this uh fall of x at least first leg of it wasn't a five issue run (laughs) i wish we were getting a little bit more space for it because, like, with this and the complaints I said about, like, Realm of X having to introduce, like, everything at once, like, it feels like a whole bunch of these books are struggling with uh, it all being too overcompressed. Um, just like Puck. <laughs> just like Puck. Do we want to jump into Immortal now? On Krakoa, Celine and Shaw realize that Xavier is the one repelling them and send in soldiers protected against psionics, who he still defeats using his minor telekinetic powers. In the desert, the Krakoans struggle to survive until they encounter Mother Righteous being attacked by wolverines, and she leads them to the Atlantic Krakoa Island, which has been magically transported there. Uh, Celine, Celine is very funny. Sorry. <laughs> we gotta stop doing that. Dude, like... Um... The, the the follow-up to, like, Sauron, I don't want to cure cancer, I exactly. want to be a dinosaur. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't want to live in a happy paradise, I don't want to be freed from my oh-so-terrible, terrible curse, I want to eat people. Why won't Just... anyone let me eat innocent babies? Uh, I, I have, Kiwi, I have exactly that in, in my notes. Um, it, precisely saying a follow-up to... Sauron's I want to turn people into dinosaurs moment and then that speech because exactly my thought as well he's yeah he's definitely doing it on purpose but it really it's very good you know Celine who's a a a human right now that you could kill if you wanted to is Sebastian Shaw (laughs) (laughs) that would just cause some hassle then she'd have to like fight, she'd have to deal with money. Uh-huh. Whereas yeah, now she can just say, "Oh, shall you do all that?" that. <laughs> and she would have to hire people to eat instead of having other people that she can just eat that are someone else's problem. <laughs> I I really love the description of her power as like, "Oh, I could just do this psychically." 
and I do absorb like all of their hopes and wants and everything, but it just tastes nice. So like, I don't care about the like horrific thing I'm doing. Yeah. One of the, I mean, to add to the like ongoing, like gruesomeness of the current X comics, uh, one of them like evaporates into a skeleton. Like we see the bones, like, and the skull, like making a poof. Yeah, it's like cartoonish. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, another very good line on uh, like a uh, couple of pages later. Uh, wait, yes, a couple of pages later. Um, is uh, Shaw's Krakoa is a grave. Someone has to rob it. Um, again, <laughs> like it's it's really fun reading these two villains who are like. N- entirely self-interested zero morals all they care about is respectively whether they can eat people or whether they can make a lot of money and it's very fun to read maybe those two are the same thing you consider that makes you think yeah Marx did say capitalists were vampires well there you go making some points did did anyone else remember that Xavier has telekinesis? Not at all. No. no. <laughs> I saw I, all the X spoilers posts of like, here are all the times he's used it, and it's been like three times, and they haven't really pointed out to it at all. It's mostly just him like having a drink with someone where he's pouring the drink with the telekinesis. Didn't he use it like a bunch it's... in the movies? Or am I? No, no he's he's okay. never no. in the he's movies. Never he's had just it before. so like. Mind reading, it, and, and obviously it's a very like, as you remember, Xavier has telekinesis. Just uh, just in case you forgot, I forgive it like uh, a bit more here, partially because I'm I'm very partial to how Kieran Gillen writes, uh, and also because like it is uh, very much like Celine and Shaw are there looking at the one person who is stopping them from achieving their goals and being like, right, how can we? How can we remove this problem? Let's remember what he can do, and then let's counter it. Um, then we get to Exodus. Exodus is Exodus. Oh, it's oh, I love it. <laughs> oh yeah, he's gathering all of the water droplets, like every tiny molecule from the desert every night, so that they can all have something to drink. Um, and we get, like, a little bit of the details about how they're surviving, um, like, from this scene, and then also from Destiny's Diary, which comes right after it. There are mutants doing trolls, Jumbo is making, like, more wilderness-appropriate clothing, that sort of thing is going on. I I really like that they specifically bring up Jumbo, because it's, like, obviously he's, like, the fashion guy. Mm. He's the fashion guy. Um, and... It would be very easy to, uh, or just not mention him here, but to make a point to be like, yeah, he can he can make the practical clothes. He can help people as well. He's not just like a high fashion, like whatever. Yes. You know, it feels nice to sort of give him a, like the outfits have been important, but now he's also like more directly helping people uh, survive rather than just look cool. It's just a really nice thing, a nice moment, I think. 
absolutely. Um, I uh, just before that date, I really enjoy depressed, cynical destiny. Um, I like that she doesn't believe that uh, in Exodus's vision. Yeah. Like, of course yeah. she wouldn't. And visions are her shit. <laughs> and they turn that right around on her and they're like aren't visions your shit like shouldn't you believe in them <laughs> it's yeah i i really love the exchange of have you really had a vision of the promised land and exodus being like perhaps at least close arguably. <laughs> that is the nature of visions is it not you cannot be sure hence faith a, a little bit of kieran gillen's cynicism about religion just shining through in this in this dialogue um while also like alluding to like the nature of like what this group needs to survive includes a vision of the future hope is like if look destiny if you're not having vision someone needs to have some yeah <laughs> uh, and everyone needs hope which is me yeah we we get some <laughs> Karen Gillan wordplay i mean if if you get the the characters named Exodus and Destiny and Vision together. Uh, Destiny and Hope together. Vision is another Marvel character character who is not here, but uh, he would also fit right in here with the speaking names. Yeah, it's th- th- this is just some this is some stuff that I really enjoy, um, and I really enjoy all the like uh, uh, as you said, like jumbo jumbo um, building like simple garments for people and like. Uh, having like uh, telekinetics carve caves from the sand and anyone who can like shed their skin to create fabric for people um, and then anyone who can fly taking watch and we get we get as as mutant watch pointed out last issue we actually get some Kafka that's Kafka yeah great Kafka, Kafka and moments. Phil <laughs> Phil, who is literally just the the alien aliens from the Outer Wilds DLC, which I don't know if any of you have played. I haven't, I'm afraid. But no. they're they are like horned people like that who oh, all hold a okay. lantern. <laughs> I see. Uh, so this is very literally like uh, I think Kieran Gillen just played Outer so Wilds. So Phil is not like, like a that's a cool Phil design. Is not like a classic X Men character. I don't believe so. I I've never seen Phil in my journeys in the X Men before. <laughs> okay, so we've got brand new Outer Wilds DLC inspired Phil. Excellent. And I love Kafka though. Kafka, he's he's quickly becoming a very favorite of mine. Like a little guy with wings, and his face turns green when he's scared. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> I I yeah I like his design. You know who I would be like. Freak the fuck out to see in an Outer Wilds DLC is this like crazy Wolverine? <laughs> yeah, like fucking tearing everyone apart. That would What's be up like with this Wolverine. Um, this Wolverine's bit is why I thought, like, and why I said earlier that I thought this book was going by too quickly because I was misunderstanding what is happening here, and now I think I get it. Um. Because Mother Righteous definitely just stole some of Beast Wolverine so, to yeah. bring yeah, here. Hundred percent. Yeah, that that it does um, seem that way. Uh, but we see Kafka going on patrol, and he comes across Mother Righteous being attacked by one of these Wolverines, and um, the group saves um, her from them, but not without a casualty or two. Um, 
which is sucks because they can't be revived now. Um, and then she's like, "Oh, but I can't use my powers anymore," and she takes them to the island um, that they were on. I I just kind of ran through a bunch of shit all at once. Yeah. But. Um. Uh. Exodus. Um. Says. Uh. Logan's. Um. The wolves fall upon us. This is a time of testing. Which is like, uh, when I'm attacked by murderous mutants, I also think this is a metaphor. <laughs> uh. <laughs> yeah, and Hope says they're fucking pass. Um, and thankfully, the the number of like signs actually fit the word fucking. I'm. We talked about this last time. How annoying it's... it is when there's. Yeah. <laughs> I was looking for it this week because we talked about it. It's uh, yeah they. These, these people understand. I'm always... I'm always annoyed by the Because I, I just, like... Sometimes I uh, amuse myself by reading, like, every censored expletive explet- explet- as fucks, even if... As fuck, even if it's, like, very clearly something else. Because uh, they also have to censor shit and ass. Which I feel like aren't, <laughs> like... Those words are in the Bible. It would be nice if they could just curse because they're also like ripping people in yeah. half every issue now. Yeah, especially like, since they're like, I feel like either these are not kids either books. do it like the old comics where Wolverine says "What the hey," like if I think the censored swearing, like these are characters who swear a lot, like they just say "fuck" all the time, but we can't hear it. Like at that point, you might as well just put it in or like cut it out. But like, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's just something that that is always like a bit jarring. I like Mother Righteous leaning into the fact that Destiny's like I can remember that I saw like a huge secret that you had, but I can't. I don't know what it was, mm-hmm. but it was a really big secret. And then dramatically, she's like, "You're right. I'm a mutant." She's laying <laughs> it on so thick. Yeah, she's. I I love it. <laughs> she's <laughs> so like just coming in and immediately manipulating them yeah. all like perfectly and nobody's like come just on like, oh, just welcome to my audience. nobody's like there's no point of wearing a mask here <laughs> like, yeah and to be fair you know destiny's still wearing a mask yeah they're, they're, they're pretty trusting um i <laughs> i enjoy that hope is like oh she is a mutant but her gift is like really diffused out through her Maybe you have huge potential, and her replying, "Well, that would be nice. A working class British <laughs> girl done good. I could be Margaret Thatcher, except not evil." <laughs> Just another very yeah. fun line in this issue. <laughs> she knows what she's doing. Like it's just—it's uh, really funny how much she's playing them. Like she could be, she could be like less suspicious, but like she just, she just knows that it works. Yeah. I, I have to imagine this is like the long, like the Mother Righteous stuff is beyond just these, you know, five issues of fall. Like she's insinuating herself here. And like in the same way that Hope and Exodus are becoming like leaders of this group of, you know, the sort of forgotten people on, or the less interesting people on Krakoa. Yes. Uh, like Mother Righteous is also insinuating her, or like, integrating herself into that like leadership role 
by again just being like hey i have a big island that's got like water and food on it <laughs> you guys want to come over here it's it's good so uh, it's been so lonesome to be just a lonely girl on a lonely in a lonely city <laughs> but no, we can go no, to your no. city if you have one <laughs> it's it's a good again laying it on thick leaning into it it's good stuff um it's it's and then we hear from Celine on the voiceover narration that she made a deal with Mother Righteous. That was to get her back to life, I assume? Yes, it was. It was yes, the yeah. Sinister Four before the fall issue, I believe. Is there, yes, um, yeah, I was in that one. Yeah. Is this where we get the confirmation so. that Orcus actually thought they were going to Araco and Yeah, it is. Um, which is like, oh yeah, Mother Righteous is playing the long, long game here. Yeah, she's up to a lot. <laughs> Charles is killing a bunch of people. Yeah, we we get, uh, like, the anti-psionic soldiers go in, and he's like, anti-psionics very well. And then we get some gunfire, uh, Charles yelling, and then... Next page, morning, eviscerated Orcus soldiers. They're all lying torn around. into like several pieces. Yeah, like it's it's he he's brutal in this. You, you gotta remember he was he was in the army. He was he, in the army, I forget. On on the Marvel <laughs> Wiki he is still described as an expert fighter. <laughs> oh he was in the army and also he learned how to fight in the East. <laughs> Uh, oh, you know, as goodness. as all Marvel characters mm. do. Uh, I mean, it is it is like it's just that that shit that like action movies do when there's a character who is like old and like peaceful and then suddenly like goes wrecking shit. It's look, we know Charles is super cancelled, but it's still like rocks to see. Well, this is potentially the beginning of his redemption. Because <laughs> he's now uh, killing guys. <laughs> Because he's killing Nazis, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now that he's a murderer, the redemption can begin. <laughs> now that it looks like Kieran Yeah, Gillen. now that he's learned the right way to like, murder. This, this one panel where he's like, because he's, he's grown a full beard now instead of just the, the like, stubbly one. And this there's like one panel that is kind of like a bottom-up view of his face. And just, he just looks so much like Kieran Gillen in that one. Oh yeah, he really does in that. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, uh, I love it. I love this. I love depressed, no holds barred, um, but for what is truly a futile gesture of defending effectively a grave version of Charles Xavier. And then we go to the promised land of Atlantic Krakoa. Yeah, it turns out, uh, unlike, I think we said it in like our second episode that uh we thought uh or it was in our our hellfire gala episode um that uh she was stealing that for shaw obviously we know that's not true now because shaw has the legal rights to (laughs) the island that he can't access and she took the the pacific inlet and brought it with her into wherever the fuck they are she put it in like a globe or something yeah and that's 
her gloves are behind her the whole time. Why do you believe that she can't use her magic, but she's still got the floaty gloves? <laughs> What's going on there? They're not in this situation to really ask questions. Um, yeah, no, they're but not. But the one person who does doubt this is Exodus. Because Exodus knows how, how... Exodus is like, I know how my story of Revelation goes. I'm not supposed to uh, make it to we, the we promised land. We don't get to the promised land. <laughs> like, we make it, but I don't. There's... Uh, and we get... Um, an oasis is of the, the, the desert. The devil likes to tempt. Yeah. And the desert remains a place of testing. And soon, Revelation. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> And then you turn the page and I love who's all there? the little guys in the crowd shot. Yeah. Though behind them, like that pink looking thing and mm-hmm. and there's that yellow guy in the very back with just the huge <laughs> smile on oh his my face. God. I did not zoom in here before. These are some great guys. <laughs> We've got like a Zoidberg oh, looking motherfucker there. Uh, yeah, we got and the, another the, shot the of green guy Phil. that you can only see half his head up. I, I, I'm gonna mm. in addition to Pack Watch, I'm also gonna start Phil Watch. <laughs> just to see if he ever shows up again. I'd like to know who the the monkey guy in the foreground is. I'd like to know about his deal. He's in like a classic New Mutants yeah. costume. But I think uh, in Bishop's War College, I think Bishop started giving those out. Like not in like in the in the groups he started doing after that. After the War College, there's a guy who looks. He's, he's given out the uniform. There's a guy who looks like the the thing, but in purple. Yeah. yeah. Um, is good. There's a Cthulhu head guy, but in red. That's that's. Oh, the that's Zoidberg. And then there's like this, like yellow, like minion devil. <laughs> yeah, yeah that was the one I was talking about with the big smile. Yeah. Um. He looks like the like main character of Assassination. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, you're right. Yes. Uh. I, one, I hope we see some of these characters again. Two, I feel like this is uh, one of the things where it's like crowd shot artist draw who you want, you know. And and oh, absolutely. yeah, this is Paco Medina who drew like one of the one of the segments of Sins of Sinister, like one of the years. Yeah, uh, I feel so, like Paco yeah. Medina's uh, made made the crowd shot a little more fun for him and for us. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I went wild on this page ten, by the way, when I first read it. Oh, of course you did. <laughs> I mean, who who didn't? Yeah, <laughs> like... So we see Apocalypse, and he has a chained up Jean Grey. We we turn um, the page, and, and we see freaking Logan. Apocalypse. Freaking Apocalypse like... is here, and freaking Jean. Do, do we think this is the real Apocalypse, or is this like an alternate timeline? I don't think this so. This has got to be a, a different I, apocalypse. Like, I think the real apocalypse is in red, and I think we're seeing something else here. Yeah, we the the text here is the desert is also the home of Satan, and we get we get apocalypse. Uh, he's got he's got he's got a pharaoh beard on and a scarab on his belt. Like he's he's much more Egyptian coded than. Yeah. than this is this is apocalypse from five thousand years ago or something like that's what it feels like, uh, which fits with the desert. He was in the desert back then. Exactly, it, it fits with it fits with Exodus. It fits with the whole vibe. Um, we've got a change, and like they could potentially like be on Earth and be in a different time to begin with. 
maybe. Like, there's a lot of open-endedness to where they are, even though it's probably the white hot room. It's got to be like an alternate universe or something, or a, or like a different, a different universe, yeah. because there's also another Jean Grey who we know is not the Jean Grey who died at the Hellfire Gala. Yeah, and we have like uh, Apocalypse is sort of like wreathed in in fire, which could somewhat be Phoenix. Uh, I think it's I, Phoenix. It yeah, did not occur to oh, me at all. Oh my god! I just, yeah, I was just like, oh, fire! Yeah, it's just to make it look nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think this Jean Grey here is is in a way possessed by the Phoenix because she's you can see it coming out yes. of her eyes, yeah. um, a little bit the fire. And uh, Logan has the most dilated pupils possible. They're so tiny. If you look at the cover preview for the next one, there's literally the phoenix in the background. Oh, yeah, there is. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, (laughs) Oh, that's a banger cover, too. (laughs) It does look so. Yeah, the the art of Apocalypse on that one is so good. Um, So this is some version of Apocalypse. I'm so excited what these next two issues are going to be, because this next one is the Apocalypse cover issue and the one after yeah. that is gonna be Jean Grey POV which I have to assume is this like alternate Jean Grey um, or yeah. maybe not but wh- whatever Kieran Gillan has cooked up for us there is gonna be scrumptious <laughs> yep Th- this, is, this is one of the things where like it leaves us with an exciting pre- like it is presented to us like, hey, they're, they're potentially safe from the desert, but Mother Righteous is the person saving them. And then it's like, actually, they're not even safe. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, they're not... Yeah. with the Phoenix is here. <laughs> Mother Righteous is not saving them. Like, she has... Uh, she brought them there in the first place, so she's, like, yeah. getting them into her plan. But it's, it's cool, because it's, like, when the characters think, you know, it's the... Uh, it's dramatic irony, or whatever mm-hmm. uh, you'd call that, when you know something that uh, the characters don't know. I'm sounding so basic with this, like, analysis. Yeah, I don't think, like, we're in a very pivotal point in the story where stuff is yeah. still being kind of built up. So even though we've talked for almost, like, three hours We've about said it, nothing um, of value. <laughs> <laughs> we haven't we haven't gone we as have deep as wasted as it is your easy time to go in when you're getting at the end of shit. Yeah. Not a three How hours. How dare you listen to us? If if that Christine content's in there, though, we've got something for the Stephen King fans. Yeah, something you. for the King has some some. Oh, I'm so excited to hear the hour of content. <laughs> One thing uh, that I did want to mention is in the Destiny's Diary bit. Uh, she says Mystique would have survived would survive out here in a way that's very like, oh Destiny, you don't have faith in anything, do you? I a bit of bit of faith in your wife there. Like that's very you know, no faith in Exodus and Hope, but she does have faith. Yes. Just in a different form, you know. I don't think Mystique is out there, but you know. I think if anything, we're going to find out next Men Blue if Mystique is alive or not when that one shot comes out. Yeah. Um, or is it a two-parter? One or the other. Um, yeah, I don't know if that's supposed to but, take place. Like, if it's, like, in continuity or if it's going to be a flashback or... I, I think it's going to be a little bit of both. That's the way it has been coming across to me in the probably, little bits of things probably. I've seen for it so far. Like, similar to what's going on with Jean right now and the Jean Grey story. Yeah, and that... Which I guess was supposed to be, like, 
when they initially approached Wheezy was going to just be one of the the out of continuity issues from back in the day ones and she went and like read like what Jean Grey's been up to and was like no actually I have a different idea because people have already written all of my ideas (laughs) that's that's cool yeah um X-Men Blue Origins appears to be one issue from what I can see it's probably gonna be like a giant sized issue yeah yeah when does that actually come out Oh, this says end of November. Okay, yeah, still a way away. Obviously, in the in the preview article for it, they're really hyping up how important it's going to be for Nightcrawler's origin. Uh, so, it is funny to call it X Men Blue Origins for Nightcrawler and Mystique. I I, I have to hand it to the <laughs> <laughs> to Marvel's marketing department. Uh, yeah, it's like oh yeah, the the, the we're going to tell the origins of the two literally blue X Men, yep, or X Men characters. I Good mean, stuff. I guess maybe that's that's how they retcon out as as well because it's not blue. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's a uh, he's not his real dad. He's probably going to be like his uncle or his cousin or I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think it would be fine to me if they weren't related at all, and they just, like, kind of unwrite all of that Chuck Austin stuff in one go. Like, no, he's just a liar. I mean, the the reason why I... I mean, maybe they're gonna do that, but if he he wasn't right now in Dark X-Men, I'd be like, they'd probably just, like, ignore the entire Zazzle thing. But since he is around now in an ongoing book they have to somehow acknowledge it um it's gonna be written that the x-men blue origin is gonna be written by size Perio, who writes the uncanny spider-man thing going on now so it's gonna it's probably gonna somehow like come out of his story or like tie into that yeah i can't find it but there was a wild post on the on on the X-Men Reddit there was someone talking through like with like sort of like PowerPoint slides basically of all all the different origins that he thinks could be revealed in X-Men Blue and it was like six different options where it's like the the like Claremont intended one and then like what this guy thought the pros and cons were, were for it, and like the odds that he thought it was going to happen, uh, and and like it had various things, like including like uh, Azazel being someone who like buys Kurt as a child, or like is is part of IVF treatments. It's it was I I wish I could find it because it made me so confused. Well, write us in. If you have your own predictions for X Men Blue Origins, and yeah, yeah. we have an email now. Oh, really? One. Oh my god! It's hate, hatedxfeared at gmail.com. All right, write us, write us to that address if you have an X Men Blue Origins prediction. And uh, yeah, and if we ever actually get an email on it, I will share the password <laughs> with you guys. So you if you get it right, um, I, I am going to think. Think mean thoughts of you and see if you get sick. That's your price. <laughs> the problem is I think I've already forgotten the 
I'm pretty sure I know it though. <laughs> there's a there's a password recovery thing from Google. Um also also just write us in if you listen to this podcast and if you like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> send, send us feedback. Send us really long diatribes about how you're in, we're inspiring you and we'll read them all in detail and not skip over that part in favor of going straight to the question. If you made it this far into the, I'm not gonna put this in the description that we have that email address, so you have to listen to three hours of this podcast to find out <laughs> what the email address is. Yeah. <laughs> I also will make a Discord someday, but I think we will have to have at least like a hundred concurrent listeners before it'll be worth it to us. IMO. Yeah, I'm kind of whatever. I'm having more Discords. I'm like, yeah, I already but... have more than I want in my life. Yeah, I mean, if there is demand <laughs> for a Discord, that would absolutely be a good idea. But we're not at a little bit of inside base. I mean, we've already said. We're not. We don't have that many <laughs> listeners yet that it would make any sense. Yeah, I like. I have uh, no shame in our listening count. <laughs> I think having a small audience is dope. Um, and that's why I'm very comfortable. I mean, saying it's also it. like, usually... I'm not here for you guys. I'm here for the people I'm talking like, to. On the call. For, like, so, from... I appreciate that you three do this. Um, so that anyone listens, I'm I'm happy about. <laughs> Yeah, same. Like... I'm actually mad that you're <laughs> listening to our podcast right now. I'm like specifically, I'm ta- trying to talk to Janos, Kiwi, and Holly, and you guys need to stop eavesdropping. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you have to. Do, you got to do the thing where that that George does on who watches the watch all the time to just like say Chaz's entire home address to like keep her on her toes <laughs> while editing. <laughs> Um, but next time we will be talking about X Force Forty Four, X Men Red Fifteen, Children of the Vault Two, Astonishing Iceman Two, Wolverine Thirty Seven, Uncanny Spider Man One, Uh-oh. Uncanny Avengers Two, Dark X Men Two, and Alpha Flight Two. So we might have to institute some sort of timer per we issue because do... we're not good at that. I mean, I don't mind recording like next weekend and then like recording weekly or whatever while we have very long or like a lot of issues but i don't know yeah we might have to do that or we might have to like pivot and do like one two episode in a week or one episode like a week after an episode and then go to because if it's then no there's like seven issues for the episode after that never mind (laughs) yeah it's kind of just a very busy period yeah yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out. There's a lot I of mean, books. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to talk about yeah. this off off pod. But if we if anyone has recommendations they want to run through before we wrap things up, um, I haven't been reading a lot of new stuff. I've mainly been like reading stuff I've already started. But I guess I'll shout out Black Hammer because I mentioned it in like a throwaway comment. But that's uh, so. Black Hammer is basically like a creator-owned superhero universe at this point. Like, it's uh, Jeff Lemire started it at uh, Dark Horse. And the core concept is that there's a bunch of these, like, really weird, like, Golden Age-type superheroes from, like, a Gotham-type city who got through an event where they were battling an entity called the Anti-God. 
they got transported into like rural Canada and like kind of locked into there. Like they don't know the way back, and and they were all they're all like people like superheroes past their prime. Like they they're like golden age heroes in a universe that had moved into like the silver age and the nineties. Like extreme heroes started showing up, and they all got transported into our world where they have diminished powers and the main guy Black Hammer who was like the number one superhero died in the process um, so they're like a very dysfunctional family stranded on a farm in Canada and um, it's all about that and the cool thing about it is like it starts off like pretty linear and then they start fleshing out the universe where there's issues that or there's books that take place in the past in spiral city there's books that take place in the future like it's uh at this point there's even like books that are written by other creators who uh who started writing solo issues so it kind of like really uh took took off as a superhero universe on its own which is very impressive and you know, just it's what I really like about it is that, like, you know, Jeff Lemire is a guy who usually writes these very sad, melancholy stories, and there's a lot of that in this one as well. But he just has such a strong, like, it really comes across how much he loves like this golden age superhero comic stuff that it feels like very like cozy or like comforting in a way. So, um. And it looks amazing. It's uh, it's he's it started the the main artist who created it was Dean Ormston. And then he had a bunch of health issues, and then they kind of branched out to include just a ton of different artists who all have like very unique styles. And it really makes a point to not have like a unified style, but rather like have these different artists like use their own art styles. So it's uh, it's very cool in that way. I, th- I think I did read like the first few issues of that when it first started or something. Um, but I, I didn't keep up with it. But it was like, yeah, it was a very cool start. Um, for my recommendation have any of you read the web serial? Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> or heard of Hell it? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Worm is like a core piece of superhero media to me. Um, it's a web serial, which means it was uh, released chapter by chapter. It's just uh, like prose, like text. Um, and it's like, I think if it was a book, it would be like 6,000 pages long or something. The, the word um, count is ridiculous. <laughs> Yeah, if if it's ever actually published, it will be like the second longest book in the history of the English language <laughs> or something. Um, but it probably won't be published because it's insane. Um, but it is the story of uh, a girl who has the superpower to control bugs, uh, who wants to be a superhero, but sort of accidentally falls in with supervillains instead. And then realizes that maybe the superheroes kind of suck also and the supervillains <laughs> have some points and it's in a world that's like very takes takes the idea of what if superheroes existed very um seriously 
in a way that in, in places can be sort of grim or like a bit dark, but mostly I think is just really interesting. And like ev everyone has really cool, like weird powers. Like the main character controls bugs, um, uh, which leads to a lot of weird, like she's like breeding specific spiders so that she can like create spider silk to trap people or like she's like gathering up hornets from all over the city because they have the right stings um like there's a lot of weird problem solving with the powers um and it's just a really cool world where it's like uh superpowers have been around for like 30 years and basically the way you that superpowers activate is by people going through traumatic experiences, which means they can be sort of, they're often like related to those experiences or like a metaphor for something. And also means that like villains are often people who are like marginalized or traumatized and have like fair, fair grievances. You know what I mean? Um, and also, uh, it's just, it's just really cool. I, there was, I definitely had another point there, but, oh, uh, like Iska the Unbeaten is a worm character, like very literally oh there's God, a character right. in worm. I never connected this dog. <laughs> has basically the same power and there is a very similar, like, here are the ways that having this power breaks you as a human being and like is not, it's not good. It's not good to always win. It's not good to know how to like succeed in every case. Um, and there's a, there's a lot of just cool stuff like that where like the powers are often not as good as they should be or they're, they have drawbacks that make them very difficult to like deal with. Um, it's just really cool. It's like very well written. There's a lot of last thing is there's a, uh, a lot of like interlude chapters. Uh, the majority of the story is told from the perspective of Taylor, who's the, the main character. Um, but there are interlude chapters that are from the perspective of just random other characters and like, the first few will be like, oh, a hero who's in the city or like one of the villains who's in the group she like joins up with. And then by the end of it, it's like the Superman equivalent who's like usually not really on screen or like the these people who were like the, the current arcs villains. And here is like a whole thing about their backstory. I think uh, Wildbo, the author, he does a really good job of like getting into their perspectives and like giving everyone a unique voice and giving you just a chapter that is like basically a novella and is just about this one character that like by the end of it you're like this whole story could just be about this character and then he does it like 40 more times yeah it rocks um i second this it's it's a lot of genuinely very good writing um the other thing is like if you like any of the like X-Men stories where it's about how having a power can fuck you up, or how being a mutant can mess with your head, or your body, or your mind, or your feelings like Iska the Unbeaten like 
um, Cerebella, previously No Girl, like the 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 like Lost Kids Club, um, Worm is all about that. Like there there is a lot of that in Worm, and it's all very good. The the sequel Ward is like even more all about that, really. Um, like the, the the main characters in Ward are a group of basically a support group for people who are their powers are not uh, good for them. They, in like mentally or physically, they have like difficulties dealing with their powers. I think it's very interesting how it goes into those sort of things. Mm. I have two recommendations. Uh. My first recommendation is the first panel of X-Men Red, issue 14. Um, I don't think we talked about it enough. Uh, <laughs> I'm giving it a little bit more airtime here to say that... <laughs> I have a real point to make, but it's funnier if I leave it like that. It doesn't need more airtime. I've talked about it so much. Um, Genesis can be seen as a, 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 a metaphor for sort of nationalism. She presents a regressive idea of Krakoa. She grows over this kind of like place of death and and dishonor. And like this parallels really interestingly with like how um, the Fisher King becomes like merged with the memory of their people. Like Genesis is presenting this idea of like a record prime and how the the sort of glorious good old days of our country when it was different to how it is now. Uh, as opposed to, like, a real memory of what happened and the trials and tribulations of how it got there. Um, but my real recommendation is uh, uh, a, a little a little manga you may or may not have heard of by uh, um, uh, uh, horror mangaka Junji Ito uh, called Uzumaki. Um, I read this for the first time um, last week. Uh, it was a really lovely sunny day. I spent it in the park. Um, uh, with my with my boyfriend reading Uzumaki, and it was a great time. It's a really horrifying book with some genuinely, frequently genuinely disturbing visuals. It like Junji Ito is incredible. He's a brilliant artist. Some of the stories are like fun, fun, fun. They're goofier horror stuff. Some of them, and some of it is just genuinely like it's stuff that like i will probably like will keep me awake one night um thinking about it um uzumaki uh and then my recommendation is uh we talked in our group chat about dipping our toes into some dc stuff um i want to recommend gerard way's uh doom patrol run it's one of my favorite comic book runs of all time it introduces um danny the street who's a sentient street um who is one of my favorite comic book characters of all time as well as uh a superman parody milkman man <laughs> who's incredible um like there there's a lot of great stuff in doom patrol across all of it i love like most of it um like grant morrison also has a really great run on a uh, doom patrol but uh, Gerard Ways is like pretty short and very digestible and very fucking weird in a way that I really like. Um, and so that's my my recommendation. Yeah, Jared Ray writes some cool comics. Like Umbrella Academy, also pretty cool. Yeah, Umbrella Academy is pretty cool. And very <laughs> weird. 
and very weird, yeah. Um, but they've dipped into a little bit of his stuff in the, the TV show. It's mostly based on the Grant Morrison run, though, uh, I'd say, from what I can remember from when I read it forever mm-hmm. ago. It's the one um, with uh, Brendan Fraser, right? Yeah, from yeah, where he, he plays Man. Robot Man. He, he, yeah, yeah. Famously, <laughs> his most famous role from Encino Man. <laughs> um. Yeah, does anyone want to say where people can find them on no. the internet before I go into our outro? You cannot. No, no thanks. <laughs> Great. Uh, our theme music is uh, Welcome to My Island by Caroline Palachek. Um, and uh, we are part of the Good Episode Productions. Um, right? That's, that's definitely, the a real, definitely a real network, sure. yes. <laughs> Yes, we're part of the Good Episode Productions Network, um, and uh, this has been Hated and Feared. Resist. 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 Get out of my house! Exodus! I've seen, like, there was a Kieran Gillen Tumblr thing where someone asked him how, what the, what's the best way to, like, support creators directly, and he was like, or, or, or someone asked, like, is buying comics on, or waiting for Marvel Unlimited, is that bad for you? Like, am I taking money away from you? And he was basically like, Buy them in whichever format you like. Like I'm, the comics industry has problems, but I'm not gonna put them on the consumer. So I think that's a that's a healthy attitude to that. But of course, I, mean, I saw someone pointing out that Disney makes more money in a day off of an individual hot dog stand at their theme parks <laughs> than they do in like a month off of comics. Of so course. I don't think they even give a shit. That's yeah, wild. I I don't know if that like that was a tweet. <laughs> that's probably not one to one, but it's. I imagine they make more selling food in a day for sure than they do off comics in a month. Yeah. I would hard hardcore believe that. The margins on food are a lot better than the margins on comic books, that's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Assume they're selling those for like $25 or something as well, right? <laughs> like, I don't know, I've never captive been. Captive audience. Me neither.